Bill is here. Gordy is here. Thank you guys for uh, for taking time. Busy, busy time, especially for Gordy as he's learning. Show show me show me that thing again. Oh yeah, my my super yeah yeah. Is that is that Airbus? Uh, three seven. Oh okay. Yeah. All right. Very cool. And Phil's in his like old man. Yeah, he's in his den. <laughs> father-in-law's house because my uh internet i look kind of out in the woods and my starlink has been a little spotty with the uh tree canopy being full end of summer uh, <laughs> right on yeah we just got fiber here it's uh that's been pretty pretty amazing uh hit john Bloor in the comments sorry for the banner being on your head yeah i know i've just the first time i've had this many people on i didn't really think about it i could probably move stuff around but i don't have I, i'd have to i'd have to do it now everybody would see how it's all being done so i'll just i'll just duck down low um a, a little bit of uh preamble here before we get too far started i do not have jake with me tonight people in the comment section so i'm going to leave the comment section up so that i can see it which sucks because i am drawn to it like a moth to the flame and i will read all of your comments can so try to be cool What's that? Can you pull it up? Pull um, it? I don't think you you can do it up there of comments. Yeah, on the oh, top right. There we go. Oh yeah, look at that. Yeah, um, but I warn you to don't do it because you will just. It's like going on a first date to like you know a, a sports bar and they got TVs everywhere and you're just like, like that. You know the girl's not impressed. So um, I I will have the comments up. But I guess what I'm saying to you, people who are watching, if you if you have a comment or a question and you 100% need it to be seen, you definitely got to super chat it because I will not be able to pick it out of the the mess there. So when it super chats, it, it does all this weird stuff. Sure, so, sure. Then I will know. Um, but otherwise, we're going to get into it. Again, a big thank you to all the Patreon supporters and to the YouTube membership people because I, I don't call you out enough because YouTube membership, the program kind of sucks because they don't really like – I don't even know when people – sign up for it like i just happen to look and i'm like oh there's a member so thank you guys for doing that um and of course you can always buy merch the link is down below anyway we're gonna get into it um i've got two guests as you can see and this is the first time we've done it hence the banners on my head because i just didn't think that far ahead to practice uh and of course these two jokers showed up literally at the last minute like i was getting nervous like <laughs> i knew gordy so he's gonna be late. i was you did say but i was still like Oh God, what do I do? Like if no one shows up, cause I, for all I know, like there was some sort of time dilation going on that I just wasn't playing, you know? Yeah, it's fine. We're all here. So what we're going to do, uh, Gordy's quality is low. That's cause he's in a hotel. Cause he's, yeah. he's, he's out learning. So don't judge him too harshly on his camera. Much more um, it's okay. Much better in low death. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and you got your nice nice mustache going well we're gonna get into it and um again like i told you two before we'll, we'll go ahead and just kind of do quick introductions and that way people listening can kind of associate voices with faces otherwise it's just a bunch of noise uh so phil take it away tell us about phil hickson yeah so uh well i met gordy first i guess uh i my, my first flying job out of flight school was at the uh, 82nd with 117 cav and i got to alpha troop and I uh, got the chance to, to be a platoon leader there for a couple of years. Uh, and with that, Brian was my boss for a year and a half, running around Afghanistan, yelling at me to put my hat on and uh, all those good things. And uh, 
and then uh, stick around with the 82nd for another deployment. Um, there I was uh, assistant S3 for a little while. So sitting in the talk, drinking coffee. And, uh, and then I also got to be a headquarters troop commander. Uh, and that was really the end of my flying days. So about five years there at Bragg. Um, after that, I did a little stint with uh, force design at Leavenworth, kind of like helping manage aviation unit design. Uh, and then got out and spent a couple of years in the guard where I was mostly a uh, uh, brigade aviation officer for a field artillery brigade. Um, so kind of cool, uh, you know, a couple of different non-flying jobs, but they were still very uh, related to aviation. And now I fly a keyboard for VMware. I do a program management gig with VMware. So, so very exciting now. Very. You got out of the reserve? I did, I did a couple okay. of years um, in the Guard and, uh, and then decided that was enough and I didn't really want to go spend a year in Kuwait for the Guard, so. Okay. Yeah. Um, cool. And I'm kind of checking the, the comments because there was a question about volume. So I've messed with Gordy's volume, so hopefully it, it's loud. So comment section, let me know. Gordy, I don't want you to feel uh, self-conscious about it. I can hear you fine. I'm low. I can always... I don't think it's you. I think it's I think it's the internet. Um, sure. I went in there and boosted your your thing. So so Gordy, take it away. Tell us about about you. Uh, yeah. So I also did my first aviation deployment, just like uh, Phil and Brian in 117 Cav. I did a few years as an infantryman before that, and then uh, went to flight school and flew flew Kyos for quite a while. Uh, did a couple of deployments out of Bragg. PCS up to uh, Fort Lewis, did one of those uh, career rotations with them when we finally put the put the Kiowa to bed. And uh, during the ARI, um, when the Kiowas went away, I was lucky enough to get a, a fixed wing transition. And and honestly, that was probably one of the best things that happened just because it, it really hit the reset button for me career-wise where, you know, you kind of get to that point where you're about to promote yourself out of a flying job. And yeah, it, I, it, it hit perfect. And so I, I did a did a stint at uh, one of the regional flight centers flying uh, VIP for a little bit and then spent the last while uh, doing the ISR thing. I did another Korea uh, trip and then, you know, you can't really list off the fixed wing deployments just from the way we deploy. You know, it's you know two dudes in a plane for two weeks somewhere and then back and rinse and repeat. And I uh, retired a year or so ago and I took a, a corporate flying job, which was a great experience. Uh, but I, I finally sold out and I'm flying for Alaska now <laughs> and I don't have a mustache. It's my, okay. So you, and you saw me, Brian, but you know, I had the big, when I was flying, yeah. I had the big grizzled beard. And so I hadn't shaved in, you know, a year and a half. And when I did shave, it eviscerated my face so bad that I still have like, I'm just like raw skin burned, still trying to heal from my shaving for Indoc <laughs> a week ago. It's like the shadow or something. It makes it look like you have a mustache. It's incredible. Yeah, maybe it's just the overhead lighting in my giant schnoz. Yeah. <laughs> it's a turret overhang. Yeah, take right. the warrant out of the order, but you can't take the mustache off the warrant, as they say. Yeah, I know. Phil, I do like that you're rocking the Bam Bam shirt, though. I, I think uh, yeah. credit's out yeah. to that yeah. uh, illustrator of that beautiful logo. Beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's right. So Gordy is the designer of that that beautiful logo, which which I have text proof that you allowed me to use without any return. So did you ever do the <laughs> trivia fact of what what the uh, what the the Kiowa logo? What was the what's the inspiration for the mouth? Everyone always goes shark teeth. Everyone's always shark teeth. Yeah, 
Yeah. So on block leave during TK, I'm at my my parents' house, and my room has not been updated probably since about the seventh grade. Do you know what the inspiration was? Ninja Turtles. Oh, I know what it is. Yeah, yeah the Ninja, Turtle Ninja Turtles. <laughs> I, and I think that's why I love that symbol. Um, for people who don't know what I'm talking about, I'm gonna I'm gonna add it. I think I can add it on here. Um, that's what I love about it because you're right. It's not this the standard like oh I'm a shark or oh I'm a warthog or something like it's completely out of left field. So yeah, it looks really good. How long did that take you to make? Because you you like went home on leave and just yeah, yeah did it right did it while we were on block leave, and then I think I ordered the sweatshirts. I don't know. They I this I think the shirts all got there about two weeks after we got back. So I, I don't know. Who knows? I have a bunch of the the rough drafters that I'll I'll have to shoot your way because maybe that'll be fun to show sometime. Yeah, I can't find it in my files, and I I'll I'll, I'll screw it up if I keep digging. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think most people who are familiar with my channel at least have seen the logo, but yeah, totally cool. And then of course it had bam, bam. Cause we were bam, bam, which I love yeah. that call sign. It was better. What was, what was it before, before I got there? It was accelerator or something like that. I don't remember. Yeah. I remember when we had the vote. I remember the vote. Yeah. I don't think we had anything cause we did the vote down in Kandahar before we went up. To yeah. I can't remember what some of the other finalists were though, but I do I remember. remember going through the, you know, the big, the big list of, of everything that, you know, you could choose. And I remember, I remember girth was on and I was like, wow, that'd be a fantastic call sign. My brain was going and I was going crazy with the, the patch ideas. I remember, <laughs> yeah, it was like, it was like a, a draft night and everybody, in, you know, sat around and just voted in this, you know, tiered yeah. kind of pool. And I'm pretty sure it tied. And I think Becky had the deciding vote. I don't remember how it ended. I remember the other two that were uh, were close were Cartel and Juicy. Uh, oh, Juicy. Yeah, do you remember I, I remember you guys talking about Juicy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah 100%. Colin and his Juicy right before you start shooting this. <laughs> That's right. Juicy would have been good. No, I think I think you guys I want to say when I got up there, it it you you when you'd first got there for like a week or two, it was like accelerator and then it got changed, but I, I could be misremembering. If for, for people who don't know what we're talking about, so we're talking about the air uh the air tasking order call sign. So the unit that we were in, which I've got the, the flag here, uh the guide on is was Roughneck. So that was the troops name. But when you go overseas, you have the air tasking order, and that is like the call sign that everyone in theater knows you by. Um, it's on this huge document that comes out daily and it says who's doing what and this and that and the other, and where they're at. And so there's a list of names that you can pull out and I'm, I'm guessing you guys looked for roughneck and it was, it was used or wasn't there. I don't, I don't know. Or maybe you guys just said, screw it. We're going to do something different. I think it's too long. Hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a mouthful. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so they look through and they found a list of all the names and then you could kind of pick, you could put in like a list. Cause I remember doing it on another deployment. Um, you basically just put in like your wish list to gosh, whoever sent half or you know, whoever, whoever manages that shit. And then they come down and say, okay, your name is girth, which would have been interesting. I can only imagine what Girl you would have come James. up with. Yeah. <laughs> can only imagine, but bam, bam was cool. I thought that was, that was a neat, uh, a neat call. Uh, it, Remember that Aussie? I think it was perfect because it was, it was curt and, you know, concise, yeah. but when you heard it on the, there, it's not, it would, there's not a chance that it would get confused with anything else that's ever said yeah. on the radio. You know what I mean? Yeah. hundred percent. And remember that Aussie who would say it, you go, bam, bam. 
there was like that like you would finish the transmission and then you'd say something back and he'd just go bam bam yeah i love yeah. that was one of the greatest things about that deployment is got to work with all you know the aussies and the kiwis and even the dutch to some extent but uh yeah the anzac guys yeah. treated us pretty well yeah yeah we um there was some good dudes i mean hell i still talk to like one or two of the guys aussies that i met on that deployment one of them actually followed this channel and I mentioned Frank Bonacotti and he was like, wait a minute. And he like sent me a message. And he's like, are you talking about, like, I just said, Frank, it was for Frank's giving, right. Which Christy started doing for, for Frank after he died. And, um, this guy, uh, messaged me and he's like, Hey, are you talking about Frank Bonacotti? And so he, and he sent me pictures and stuff. And, um, I don't know if you guys remember beef. Yeah. Do you remember that name? Yeah. So he's like, yeah, they, they knew me as beef. And so the next thing I do, I send him a picture because I had always told Frank, Hey, give me a hat. I want a hat. Cause I was like, get me something from the dudes, you know? Cause he was always over there. I think Gordy used to say he was, he was hard for soft. Like he was just always yeah. hanging out with them. Frank hard. <laughs> yeah. So he's always over there and I'm like, Hey, I want to, I want a hat. And so sure enough, he gets a hat from beef. And so it's, it's, and it says beef on the inside of the hat. So I sent him a picture and I was like, is this your hat? <laughs> so That's I feel so actually, cool. I think he's, he's in the chat actually. There's, there's beef. Dave. Yep. He's there. What's up, man. Um, so yeah, so that was a, an interesting, interesting deployment. And then Phil talking about my, my hat, uh, kink, I guess you could say. I could never, uh, the chow hall was like right across the gravel parking lot. The promenade. Yeah, the promenade from uh, our shoes, and I'd like to try to slip into the chow hall without putting my hat on because it was a lot of work. And uh, God, I don't know how many times you yelled at me about that. I don't know why it bothered me so much. We were walking around and like, just whatever. There was no one around. Like, I think I was like the highest ranking dude there, and I didn't give a shit. Like, people were walking. Like, people were walking around with what you're wearing right now you know, in a war zone, oh, we can't have that. But if you were in full uniform and not wearing your hat, I don't know why, but that just like, no, I can't. A couple commanders switch, you know, just. Yeah. Well, everyone's got to have their thing that they're like hung up on. But anyway. He had, he had 30 people that were expected to walk around looking like idiots. You were the two that were supposed to be his, you know, his bastions right. of light in the darkness. Yeah, I don't know right. why that exactly. <laughs> yeah so phil and rich were both the platoon leaders exactly that's a great point gordy that's probably what it was well but i yelled at all of you but i guess it hurt more yeah yeah it was it was it was a deeper cut no 100 percent. um but those those hoodies i mean i still have mine i still wear my my hoodie too those were those were awesome uh i wish i wish i could get hoodies now that they're that good quality because those things are old as shit yeah. I mean, those are 13 years old and they still look good. Like they're not coming apart. Yeah. I don't have, I don't have any of it anymore. I maybe two or three years ago, I had all my t-shirts and everything cut up and turned into a quilt for one of the girls. Uh, cool. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's, it's pretty cool. It just, you know, although I suppose it's mainly because none of the t-shirts fit anymore, but yeah, that's a story. <laughs> for another day. Yeah. We don't want to talk about that. You're preparing for your airline job. Yeah. yeah where you just get just a little bit bigger yeah i um i actually bought a suit this past week because i'm getting ready to interview hopefully soon 
yeah, it's like uh, I I could probably fit in the suit that I wore back in 2014. No, I can't. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> do you guys still work out? Like, do you do you try to like keep somewhat fit, or is it just like that? Yeah, fuck it. I don't. Phil's looking super trim and slim. He, I don't know. Phil, yeah. Yeah. Phil, do you have cancer? Because you look thin as shit. Yeah. Like, like you're dying. Like, you're thin. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You don't look like you're dying, but you are thin. I mean, I was, when you turn on the camera, I was like, God damn. Like, <laughs> good. Like, you didn't age a day. A little more gray, maybe, in there. But yeah. No, I, I, I still try to, you know, keep moving a little bit. Because honestly, like, when COVID started and I was like working from home and sitting on the couch all the time, like, there was a little stretch there. I was kind of like, oh, man, start falling apart. Yeah. Yeah. Gordy, what about you? No, honestly, like I, I'd love to, but if I, especially when I was on that, you know, the corporate job, I would either out be flying or in dad mode. And I know it's no yeah. excuse, but you know, it, I just let, let dad life kind of get the best of me. Yeah. It's, it's easy to do. I, there was a time here recently where finally I was like, I got to start doing something. So I, I've tried to make time, especially on trips. It is hard. I think it's harder at home than when I'm on a trip um, because at least it's like when I'm in the hotel, that's it. It's just me in the hotel. Like I have no excuses. Yeah. Go make yourself do something. Cause I mean, it, and you've seen it in the job and of course you'll see it going forward. Like, you know, you get these, you fly with these dudes and they're huge. And it's like, how I can't like, I can't do anything for you. If we crash and I got to push your ass through that little window, like that, that's your escape. Like <laughs> you're not fitting bro. <laughs> and I'm not waiting for you. You know, there's no way I can pop your ass out of there. Um, so it's crazy. It's something you got to do. And I think sitting like that for the hours that we do, you got to do something to stay limber and, and keep your, keep the blood flowing if nothing else, but it is easier to hurt yourself. I I ran a couple of days ago and I think I tore something cause my, like I can, I can walk, but it hurts to walk. And, uh, I was telling my wife, it's like, God, it's it's probably okay. And she's like, you're not 28 anymore. Like you're going to have to wait like weeks, you know, to let it heal. I was like, nah, Probably like three days, I'll be fine. But um, well, let's see. Uh, chat says Phil looks about twenty-seven. I would agree with that. It's just because he's it sitting wasn't... so far away. Yeah, it's because he and yeah, yeah. But he's in the old the old man cave. That's what ages him by like fifty years as well. <laughs> Many leather-bound books. You do, you look very important. Does it smell like mahogany? Um, I did want to we're going to cover a couple subjects. We're kind of, um, we're kind of, we're going to be all over the place chat. If, if you haven't figured that out, um, I would say that the roughnecks, AKA bam, bam, we're pretty close. Like we had a pretty good vibe. Um, and so we, we joked around a lot and the three of us haven't talked like this in yeah, what 13 years. I mean, honestly, it's been a really long time. Yeah. Um, we've talked, I don't or, think I've seen you talk to Phil and, Probably since, probably since we yeah. left Fort Bragg. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a really long time. So I would love to do, and that, that's kind of why, like we were talking before I came, you know, we started live was, uh, it's kind of the reason I brought the show back because I wanted to do stuff like this. Like, fuck it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to chase down, like, who's the dude who flew this, whatever. Like, if that happens, it happens. I just want to, like, talk to my bros and uh, just have a good time. So, so it is going to be a little bit all over the place. But there were a couple of things that I want to talk about. I know I gave you guys homework. Gordy was super excited about it. Um, 
but I'm sure he did it because I asked him to, and he's a good soldier, which it's so funny to me. What, what rank did you, were you retired as a W4? Yeah. Okay. And your last it job blows my mind. It, not only your mind. Okay. I'm just, <laughs> there are people who are like, wait, he was a what? <laughs> Cause you were like a fucking brigade four too, weren't you? Yeah, I mean, things were a little different in fixed wing. You could stay down sure. flying longer, which is one of the things I was talking about before. But yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just, you know, it's weird to, you blink and you're like, wait, I'm the, I'm the responsible one now? How did that right. happen? Yeah, when did I become a grown-up? But it's, yeah, because I mean, you were, you were a woge uh, back in the day, but it's so funny. Like I was talking to somebody who, who knew you from back then, but didn't know anything about you since. And I was like, yeah, he's like the brigade. He's like the sea wob or whatever. And they were like, what <laughs> that guy <laughs> it's like yeah he grew up it's fine um let's see what did i have on deck here let's let me share this oh this one this one just brings a tear to my eye um and i'm interested to see what you guys think about it let me find this army questioned for using oh. helicopters to simulate hurricane winds during a division run um let me Have find the right yeah i i've got it here we'll watch it here in a second but seventh infantry division coming under scrutiny for taking division formation run too far after they reportedly had h64 echo gunships hover overhead to provide heavy damaging heavy and damaging winds um yeah here's the video Try, try running up and down Long Street with artillery going off in your ear and then come oh. talk about bad division runs. That seems fine. Like, whoever this anonymous warrants, you know, given the dirt, just needs to grow up. Like, come on, man. I forgot all about that, the cannons. Oh, we're going to have to circle back to that. Well, the, what, what this immediately reminded me of was, do you guys remember coming back from Afghanistan and we went on a brigade run? And they had the Black Hawk following us, taking pictures. And then we did that big formation. And there was a, the Black Hawk was circling us, and the fucking camera bag or something fell out. <laughs> yes, I know Phil remembers that. Yeah. yeah. And it landed on somebody's car. Ooh. And like, rec I think it was, um, gosh, I we know who it was. Now I can't think of who it was, but it, it, it landed on a car and like broke their windshield or some shit. And that's the first thing I thought of when I saw this because they were they were talking about it to actually damage like people's cars and, and shit like that. Yeah, I whoever wrote that, I don't think has actually been in a hurricane because those trees <laughs> were violently shaking. You know, I, I don't know. Like I, I did appreciate that the article also had several quotes from all the like lower enlisted guys basically being like, fuck yeah, it was awesome. Like I don't know what everybody's yeah. upset about. The tiny heart syndrome. That's yeah. all it is. That's a good Morganism. I haven't heard that in a long time. I'm pretty sure that was his thing. Yeah, I, you know, I've kind of mixed mixed feelings on it. On one hand, yeah, it's not a huge deal exactly. It's not hurricane winds. If they'd had Chinook sitting out there, it would have been very ugly. Um, that being said, it, it's it is just kind of silly. Like I, like what are you getting out of it? You know, like I would be pretty pissed off with my car if I came back and my car actually was damaged because we wanted to have like this dog and pony bullshit. But um. It does seem like a little, a, a lot to do about nothing. I yeah, I don't know. I think that uh, Captain Harris would have approved, and obviously Lieutenant Colonel Harris sees I, it from a different light. 
you know. I approved a lot of stupid shit. I'm well aware. I also didn't know about a lot of stupid shit till after the fact, and you guys didn't tell me, but I would have approved it anyway. But I appreciate the plausible deniability that you provided me. So thank you for that. Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, I don't even say anymore now with that little disclaimer. What's that? Well, I mean, none of us are so we're okay. Ooh. Wait, say that again. I said, I, I don't even, like, with that disclaimer, I don't even remember, like, what you knew and didn't know, so I'm treading on. Uh, well, I remember being pissed off at you guys because you never told me about the cave. Oh, the glory hole? Rock, the rocket hole. The rocket cave. Whatever. I don't remember what you guys called it. It was the glory hole. I'm pretty sure Slim found it, didn't he? Like, way up it's north. The glory hole. Yeah, it was the glory hole. Oh, I'm sorry. See, <laughs> Are you yeah, upset? That says... The guy who landed to steal a gun, landed his helicopter whoa, to steal whoa. a gun from a dude, is gonna get upset at me for doing Alle allegedly. Allegedly, and I I did not land. Uh, the <laughs> no, I was mad because you guys didn't let me in on the fun. I would have absolutely shot rockets into this hole. So what, what was it like? A cave or some shit on the side of a mountain, and you guys would practice. Yeah, yeah, it was it was, it was tough. It was just tough to get him to go in because you know the profile that you usually shoot rockets in. You're never going yeah. running fire like straight and level. Yeah. But if you could get a, like a perfect bullseye, bats would come out. Yeah, it was this <laughs> massive concussion. Would come back out of the cave, and then yeah, bats would go everywhere. I mean, and it had to be high. I don't remember, you know, because it was a good deal further north. Even that, you know, like you had to go up oh, past yeah. over, if I remember, uh, you know, it was up there a ways. So, yeah, I mean, you were probably at what 8,000 feet, yeah, probably 8,000 MSL. And then, you know, it was a sheer cliff, and so yeah. it was, you know, right towards the top. I think there's there's footage of it in the uh, yeah. the Bambia video that I did, yeah, there is, yeah. I, that's I think that's what I learned about it was watching that video. I was like, what yeah. is this cave? What, what, what the hell is this? Um, yeah. There was there was that there was something about a river crossing. I don't remember exact details. I don't know if we want to go down that road, but there was something about a river that that you told me about right as we walked into a party, Gordy. Oh, with the, well, that's what I was wondering before this started. Is you know what's the statute of limitations on all of that stuff? Yeah, we should probably stop where we're at. We'll just say that there was a there was a thing that I wish I'd have known about. I would have been fine with it, but I, you know, it it is what it is. Um, those were probably the the craziest things. But well, you guys reminded me of the bat thing. Do you remember the bird man up by Cobra? Oh yeah, I jumped oh. off the cliff. That was me and Phil. Yeah, and I think Jake was with us. Oh, was it? It was Jake. Yeah. Okay, you all right, cool. So tell that story because I was thinking about that the other day and it was so funny. So yeah, Firebase Cobra had been every time we'd go get gas, they would be they'd be taking indirect fire. And they had they basically put out a, a standing order like, hey, anybody looking down into the valley in our base with you know uh, binoculars, whatever, like it's a shoot first and then call with BDA. Don't call for clearance of fires sort of situation. And we were leaving and Phil and I were like, oh shit, there he is. <laughs> you know, standing about six Dude. feet tall and wrapped up in a blanket, yeah. two of them. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I think we called up, you know, we called Jag up and said like, Hey, we got him. We got him dead to rights. So we're inbound. And uh, the dude like got up, ran over to the edge of the cliff and jumped. We thought we scared his ass to death. 
and then he opened his wings. It was a, do you remember the name? It was, it was like, I'm going to mispronounce it, but it was like Lammergeier or something. Otherwise. Yeah, Lammergeier. The bird of prey, they live usually in the Kush and up in the Himalayas. They usually only live above 10,000 feet, but they're like five <laughs> to six feet tall with like 10 foot wingspan, like big cock diesel birds of prey. And yeah. we, it, I, it, I swear to God to this day, it was dudes <laughs> just like normal guys that would be up in the hills. They would have blankets on. Yeah. Just sitting there looking like rocks, and oh my god! Well, the we worst part was we go up there, and, and like he, he jumps, and we're like, oh my god, a bird, okay. And then Jag comes back on the radio, like, hey, what's up with those spotters? And I remember we had a little conversation between. <laughs> oh yeah, we got them. They're dead. Bye. We tell him that we were chasing birds, and then I remember Jake goes, "That damn bird had shoulders, man." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you guys tell me about it, like after the fact, and and. The story was like I maybe I'm misremembering, but like the he, that Jake was doing like a play by play over the radio and be like, okay, yeah, he's heading, he's he's standing there. Oh wait, he's walking to the cl- wait, he just jumped. <laughs> it looked like the, it looked like the, and the they eagle. said he didn't he, didn't he fall like a hundred feet or something before the wings went out. So you just oh, like yeah. like plummeted and then like. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it looked like the bad guy eagle off like Froghorn Leghorn. It was like a bird with like biceps. Like I, I swear, I thought we were in the land before. The mighty eagle. <laughs> yeah, I I flew through its wash. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> you don't have a bird strike. That bird has a Kiowa strike. Like that's how big the game. I never saw. I remember you guys telling me about it. And from then on, anytime I went that far north, I was like looking because I was like, I gotta see one of these these condors I, I didn't know the name of it but yeah i was thinking about that the other day that shit was absolutely wild because then we were joking like how do you put up that spot report i was like a dude with a brown jacket yellow hat yellow shoes <laughs> oh my god anyway all right well what was the other thing i wanted to get your your takes on um what the, is the black ox and the medal of honor guy right yeah yeah let's talk about the medal of honor dude um so here's the dude larry taylor uh received the medal of honor so this cat like was flying cobras they got called out to a essentially a tick and these dudes were getting surrounded as a lerp team of like four dudes who are just out in the woods like and i watched a little bit about lerps on youtube like just kind of researching this stuff i mean i knew what lerps were but i wanted to get like a little bit more in depth and absolutely wild the stuff that that we were asking dudes to do going out in groups of three or four just like miles away from anyone but um so these guys are surrounded and this guy they they take off flight of two and uh for like 45 minutes they're trading shots with the the guys on the ground the bad guys at night Right, this is before goggles, or or like before goggles were mainstream. I think they had goggles back then, but they didn't necessarily fly with them. Um, and just shooting the shit out of stuff for forty five minutes. The guys on the ground were marking themselves with freaking flares, and uh, and somebody decided, you know, they were supposed to send black uh, Hueys in to pick these dudes up, and uh, it basically was judged like this: the LZ is too hot. Like these guys are just they're just fucked like we're not gonna be able to get them and uh captain larry he was a lieutenant at the time decides no nah, we're gonna land and pick these dudes up had never been done in combat before gordy can you imagine 
a lieutenant getting a, a silver star at the time. Can you imagine like the way aviation is now? Like Phil getting on the radio back then, be like, "All right, boys, this is what's gonna happen. I'm gonna land and pick them up." Like it's so different. Like just thinking about like the way aviation was to the way it is now. Like it's just so different and so like night and day. Yeah. Well, I think the couple takeaways from the story that I had, first of all, you left out the most important part of the backstory and why I really think you brought this up. Just to clarify, he's an armor officer that went to Fort Knox, (laughs) then decided that he could better serve the army as an aviator. What else? Did he get shot in the arm and drives in a Suzu rodeo? Like, you're just living vicariously through this guy. Right. And we are both handsome. Um, no, well, he, he was, I did see like an interview with him and he talked about why, cause he did one tour as a guy on the ground and he was like, this sucks. And so that's yeah. why he went to flight school. But back then it was like so interchangeable cause it wasn't a branch for the commission guys. So they would just go get like rated. Like they were just yeah. like, yeah, I'm gonna go to flight school and get wings. And they may never touch an aircraft again, but it was, it was almost like going to jump school. You know, it's like, I okay, wonder, you got Yeah, I wonder if it was easier because, because back in the day, yeah, uh, a ta- or, uh, FA owned the Apache if I, you know, and then what, uh, Signal owned the Kiowas and so on and so forth. Like the, the individual MDSs before aviation was a branch. Oh, I think. I don't remember the dates. It's a good point. I well, the, sort of. So the Kiowa upgrade to the to the OH fifty eight Delta Kiowa, not the Warrior, was funded by artillery. If I remember correctly, is the way it worked. Because artillery was like, hey, we need some sort of like forward support asset that can laze. That it was really about the Copperhead, right? So the old Copperhead round, which is laser guided artillery. So like we need somebody that can laze for that. We're not relying on dudes on the ground. Um, and so they sort of footed the bill for that. And then the Kiowa Warrior came about in the late 80s. And by that time, aviation was a branch. Um, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure when the Apache came out versus when aviation became a branch. Because I think the branch was like 83, well, 84, something like that. I don't mean necessarily a specific like MDS. I'm saying like the reconnaissance uh, aircraft you know, belong to the signal core, you know, as a holdover. Oh, red over white, you know? Yeah. I think I, I do vaguely remember something about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I was looking too, like at the Cobra back then it weighed a lot less than it does now. I think the max gross weight on that Cobra was like 9,000 pounds, roughly 9,500 where now they're max gross around 18 or 17. I think something like that. But, um, and it said in the story, or I don't know if in the thing that I sent you guys, but things that I'd read, like they had like 25 minutes of gas left and they had a 20 minute flight home. Um, that's unnerving. That's an unnerving feeling. Yeah. I remember, uh, I, I, Phil, you might've been with Frank. We, we shot, we shot some dudes with hellfires and we were like way low on gas. I don't know if you, you were with, I know I had, um, Jerry with me. And when we landed, like I was kicking off the ACK, like the whole flight to front NAC from where we were. I don't, it was like that area, like sort of due south of TK, but it was like halfway between TK and front NAC and it was nighttime. And, um, and we shot these dudes and I mean, we were fuel, like literally, like I told Jerry, like we lined up and we, and I was sitting left seat and we shot the missile and I was like, 
go direct to front neck. I will laze as we're flying because we were just like so low. And we landed, and I want to say it, we had like 20 pounds or something like that, which I, if I remember correctly, the book said like below 25, the fuel gauge is not reliable. Yeah. And the guy was like, it was, I was so, yeah, yeah, just like get a high, like get in the approach. I remember that whole flight. Like, that was one of those flights where, like, when you're in it, suddenly you're like, ah, I made a really bad choice right now. And this is, this is probably not going to end well for me. Um, I can't remember who was with Frank. It might have been a mod. I can't remember. But yeah, so that's an unnerving feeling. Um, and then to have four guys on the side, which, you know, from a weight standpoint, I guess at that point, it's not too bad because you've just dumped off like nothing but a shit ton of rockets and, and, uh, seven, six, two grenades, I think perhaps because they might've had a grenade launcher on the nose, but, uh, still just wild. I thought it was an interesting story and I'm, I'm glad that it got caught up because I guess he got the silver star, um, initially, and then it was finally upgraded to a medal of honor. What I always wonder about these things, though, too, is like, what about everybody else? Like, what was their, what was his front seater's role? Right. Like, was he like down? I'm sure he was. I mean, probably, but that always, you know, it makes me wonder because, like, you give these awards and then you get like one guy gets it and the other guy doesn't. The decision mattered, but that other guy had to land there and was getting shot at, too. You know, like, I hope he got taken care of out of all that. Yeah, that's exactly. And I tried to look, you know, cursory glance. I was trying to figure out, like, did they have a name of the other crew member and what did he get? Because, yeah, I'm with you because I've seen that happen where dudes will do something and it's like the right seater or the back seater gets an award and the other guy doesn't. I'm like, man, he was there, too. Like, he was he was all on board. Now, if he's up there kicking and screaming like, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to land. All right, got it. You get shit. But if you're like, yeah, let's fucking do it. I, I mean, he's on board, you know. Yeah. Never mind that he was throwing down rounds for you the whole hour prior, you know? Yeah. I, I'm willing to bet that they all got probably a silver star. I, I, I'm willing to, to bet or, or something close. I, I'm sure the guy didn't get nothing. Um, Let's see if chat might know. See, Chat, look it up. Figure out if that dude yeah, got a thing. Yeah, Ratliff. Uh, let's let's find out, chat. Do, do some homework for me. Because um, I could not find his name. I looked in a few different places. I just couldn't find anything. But I'm not very good at researching stuff. Um, what was the other thing that I wanted to share with but you it, guys? It, it, is a, it, it is always interesting to read those those stories and just think about how different things are. Where, you know, they're like, yeah. oh, I got shot down five times in the same day. And you're like, God damn. I, like, on the on our the, the deployment after you left, we got into a, a you know, a big a big tick. And I came home with the damaged aircraft and I called back and I had the crew chiefs. I was like, start the spare. I'm going back. And they were like, fucking absolutely not. Like, <laughs> you know, like, oh. Yeah. Well, I mean, I saw that happen on my first tour in Iraq. Some dudes got shot down and um, yeah, the same thing. They were trying to take an aircraft and go back out. But you're right. It's a different, it was like a different vibe back then. Like it was almost like expected where now, there's like, well, wait a minute, we have to debrief you and you, we got to see all your video and shit like that. Well, I mean, you were talking earlier about uh, Hugh's book, right? I remember it's been a long time since I read it, but I think he, you know, he has some stories like that too. Like I think three times yeah. in a day, you know, getting knocked yeah. down and going back out. <laughs> yeah, there's one dude in that story, in that there was one battle where this guy got shot down three times in the same place. Like, like, cause I guess they had this big orbit or something and, 
like he just constantly getting shot down and getting flown back and he'd get another bird to come out. But I mean, back then, I guess the aircraft, they weren't as expensive, right? They were kind of disposable almost uh, versus now, you know, even, even a 58 was really expensive. I mean, it was a couple yeah. million dollars and it was, yeah. you know, not much to it. Well, and then too, you got to think like the supply chain of it, that like you didn't have Kiowas to replace down Kiowas. The army is out, yeah. you know, by the time we were over there. Uh, so you're playing a shell game. Yeah. Yeah, it was 100% shell game. Yeah, because we used to deploy like 30 aircraft, but we'd only bring like 15 home. And then you'd, you know, in the next deployment, you'd only take 15 and you'd do all this other stuff. It was like that too with the Apache. When I, my last deployment, we gave all of our Apaches, we had Echo models, we gave them all to Fort Campbell. And then we deployed with, with no aircraft and fell in on these like Frankenstein Echo models they had. They were like sort of Echoes, but not completely Echoes. And they had been in theater for like three years. And I remember the first time I got in one and I think I was sitting in front seat and I went to call tower. I could not even hear him respond because the engines were just like growling. They were just like, fuck, we want to die. Like send us home. They were so loud. And I was, I was like, say again, tower, you know, and of course it was like this Iraqi dude or Kurdish dude. So you couldn't understand him anyway, you know? Um, And he was probably giving us the wrong instructions, but um, yeah, you're right. That's, that's good point. It's a bit of a shell game. Uh, what is chat? Also, Captain Taylor disregarded direct order. Yeah, I guess that's the other side too, is because they had sort of called off the mission. So, but imagine that, like disregarded direct order these days, you're not getting the Medal of Honor. <laughs> you're getting silver. Yeah, star. those decisions they go one of two ways. Like, yeah, you're either getting put in for a ward or having your PC orders pulled. Yeah, yeah. No, it's an interesting. It's an interesting time and a very interesting story. Uh, it's a shame that it takes so long for those awards to get kind of processed. Um, yeah. I remember talking to, um, uh, shoot, I can't think of his name. The guy from We Were Soldiers, uh, oh, Bruce, oh, Bruce Crandall. Yeah, the tall guy. <laughs> yeah, when I, well, he was the short guy, but but there was the, the other guy. Um, th- so in, in We Were Soldiers, the movie, He's played by, um, shoot, I can't remember his by fucking name anymore. Anyway, Bruce Crandall got the Medal of Honor. That's what's important. And he'd come to Benning for a, a funeral. And since I was like one of like three aviation guys at Fort, what used to be called Fort Benning, um, I, I was his escort officer. So like I got to hang out with him and stuff. But he was telling me about the guy too tall, who I think you're referring to is the, the um, Greg Kinnear. That's the name. Um he got the Medal of Honor as well, but it took like, yeah, it took like 30 years for that to catch up. So I don't know why that is. I don't know why that takes so long for those things to happen. I don't know what drew the attention of anyone. Like, because again, he had a silver star. I'm just curious, like what, what the backstory is on that, how that stuff happens. Yeah. I don't want to dig too deep, but I do know that you can put in for a silver star with expert employment of an Islid. So. Sick. Not opening that yeah. can of worms. No, I didn't want to open it. I just, uh, you know. No, I forgot about that. I haven't. Uh, so <laughs> gross. Is that before or after you over torqued the aircraft in the FARB? It's probably yeah. after. The chronology just gets fuzzy. Spilling all the tea. <laughs> yeah. You don't, you didn't expertly come out of the FARB, but you definitely expertly used that laser thing. But yeah. Um, cool. All right. What was the other one? Oh, yeah. So I am interested. A little bit more serious tone. Um, 
Army releases helicopter crash report won't say cause. So this is the one that happened in Alabama a while back where the aircraft just kind of like seemingly fell out of the sky. Do you remember this one? I remember. Yeah, I remember hearing about it. Yeah. So basically they landed somewhere, got gas near Huntsville. Uh, if I remember correctly, as far as the landing, they landed, got gas, they took back off. They were IMC. And then like the next thing that happened was that they were seen on radar descending rapidly and there's some video i think this this is the one with like the ring cam vintage like people's from people's houses and stuff and aircrafts like just like coming straight down um what's oh, I, interesting I, I, I said they were i thought it said they were in their scud run and trying to stay out of the clouds um i mean they may have been i th i think there's a part i mean it talks even here shortly after emerging below the clouds well so it says they they definitely went through a cloud were they flying in a cloud i don't know Maybe just um of transitioning yeah they may be okay during the descent the helicopter flew in and out of clouds going from okay so that's during the descent that's the part i missed okay so during the descent they went through uh clouds and then unrecoverable flight which if I, the video, I don't think there's a video on this one, but it's like the, uh, I mean, like there's no blades spinning. Like it's, you know, they're just almost stationary. Jeez. Um, but what's interesting, I guess what's weird about the story is like that they're releasing it, but they won't release the cause. Um, they concluded that the reviews board conclusion on the crash, of the cause and the reasons for that conclusion. Wait, hold on, that's the wrong sort of comment. Uh, certain portions of the safety report are closely protected and exempt from disclosure. So basically, they, they're saying they know what caused it, but they're not saying. And I just thought that was really strange. I don't know why they would do that. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder what the conversation in aviation is, right? Because it's, I don't know, I always remember accident reports and stuff being very frank discussions. Like, you could get details from Rucker, there were briefings, right? Because it's kind of like, got to learn from it which it's not the same thing as right. it's the, the public media, but I mean, I'm assuming guys are getting like the behind the scenes, like, you know, like, because exactly like if there's something, if it's a material thing, guys are probably being briefed on it. If it's a crew thing, like public pilot error, they're getting briefed on it. But I just, I just seems strange to me that they wouldn't post that normally unless the only thing I can think of is that it was some sort of material thing. That's what I just kind of went to immediately. It was like, okay, it's probably some sort of material thing and nobody wants to say that. I don't know if that's true or not. You see, I almost but, think though that that would have been something they would come out with because it, 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 you know, like you said, if it's, if it's a, if it's a mechanical thing, it's an easy explanation, you know? Yeah. Like the only thing I could see them being, have it like not come out is if it's almost some sort of like malicious intent. You know, or maybe yeah. not malicious intent, but there was, you know, some some sort of like, per, you know, human factors was involved that was yeah. like of a black eye for the situation. Yeah, I mean, I think most people that I talked to when it happened, our assumption was that it was some sort of crew, you know, some sort of pilot error type thing, like they maybe the spatial disorientation, um, and you, coupled with some sort of failure right because even if you get spatially disoriented the, the, the blades are just going to keep spinning um you know it mean unless you i guess you get into some weird attitude where it just breaks something um 
I don't know. It's just it's just strange to to see that. And I guess I'm more like um more conscious of these things. You know, I had to do the investigation, uh, or I was the 15-6 officer for the 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 Blackhawk that crashed at Fort uh, uh, Polk back in 2019 when I was there as an OC, and there was material issues. And, um, so whenever I see these things happen, I guess I just, I keep more of an eye open to her, especially the Osprey right now. They're having a lot of problems with the Osprey with like some sort of clutch type spline thing that's, that's failing and that's causing drama. Even though we talked about actually in the last show, um, like the, the maintenance rate of the Osprey is actually better. Like from a failure standpoint is actually better than like F-18s and, and other aircraft in the Marine Corps, but you just always see the news about the Osprey. So uh, anyway, I don't know. I just I was interested in what you guys had to to say about it. Is the army still getting the baby osprey? Uh, yes, that is the plan. Um, though I think I think the last time I saw something about it, they were actually. I always get these confused because it was Bell that won, and then Boeing was like, "No, that's not fair." which always happens. It's like for every contract yeah. thing, it's like, it's like, it's almost like it's part of the thing. Like even my company, we do government contracts and um, we had just won this contract. It's like, like another five-year renewal for something that we've been doing for years and years and years. And the other side was like, Nope, that's not fair. And like, it just immediately goes into a remediation type thing. Um, so I think that's fairly honest, but, but yeah, nothing's changed on that front. I don't believe. Hang on. I'm checking my notes. Right, they, they just, they uh they thought the what was it the, the valor right is the name of it oh yeah I yeah mean, yeah, yeah. Like they really are, are prizing the you know the range the speed uh that kind of thing over it i it makes me wonder like what the life cycle cost of of that is though because one you know i don't know the maintenance on the 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 one with the tandem blades is probably pretty high too um right. but i have to think the the maintenance costs on a valor are going to be pretty you know, grossly high compared to a hawk. I don't know that for sure, but the other, <clears throat> the interesting point I read, uh, somebody make a, a note of was its size, and unless they change the number of tails in a flight company, uh, existing a lot of existing hangers aren't going to be big enough uh, to hold these things mm -hmm. because it, they just take up more space. And so there's kind of That's some true. interesting like life cycle costs, you know, the additional infrastructure requirements and things like that. In addition, like per unit maintenance costs that I'm sure that I know they accounted for it or they, they factored that into the decision, but I'd, I'd really be curious to see what that came out as. Are, are you sure they did that? I mean, <laughs> they should have done that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure that. Did as well. um, just like they did with the, uh, the new PT test and all the equipment that you needed to do it. And everyone and their fucking brother said, hey, this is going to be really weird because we need to spend a lot of money. Oh, no, it's fine, you guys. It's fine. And then I think they just recently came out with like, well, we're going to get rid of that test because it turns out everybody needs all this shit and it's expensive and it's hard to carry with you overseas. And all you know, all the things that we've all been fucking saying for the past, you know, five years or what leading up to it. But um, that's true. I didn't think about that because at least with a Hawk, you can fold it up put it in a hangar and protect it from the elements, which is really what you're talking about from, from a maintenance standpoint. And it's easier on the maintenance guys to work on the aircraft when they can put it in a hangar instead of leaving it out in the hot ass sun. You can't really fold up those, those valors. 
but I think at the end of the day, what they're they're valuing, and we're seeing it play out right now in Ukraine, and we kind of even saw it there in Iraq with Iran like shooting missiles at at Tal- or, uh, Al-Assad. It's 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 speed and range, and we we saw this JRTC. We were kind of talking about it. Um, you've got to push everything much further away, you know, because of the long range precision fires and all that stuff that can now reach out and touch you that you can't, uh, that you didn't have to worry about back in like, you know, the nineties and and things like that. So I think they are just sort of accepting that cost and saying, Hey, screw it. You know, we need the range. We need the the distance. That's an interesting point. I, well, I think with the attack version that is being looked at the future, armed reconnaissance and attack aircraft they'll probably be one of those coaxial things which just seems weird to me i don't i don't like them they always makes me think of russian stuff and then when i think of russian yeah. stuff i don't think it's very good i don't know Isn't the whole point of that though that you can put a pusher prop on the back and that's how you get your airspeed because you're not sacrificing all the engine power to your tail rotor yeah so the, yeah the you you know offset the the torque and then you put a pusher on the back to go faster yes um and I think that there's, I think there's some life cycle type, you know, it's, it's, it's not as hard on the aircraft overall, just to seem super complicated to me. But again, I don't even change the oil in my car. So I'm not a good source of, uh, of knowledge on, on the mechanical side of this stuff, but I don't know. I, I for me, it's like, it doesn't look like a normal helicopter. So I don't like it. That's kind of like my go-to. It's just a purely aesthetics is what I just, is what I decide on. But, um, uh, chat says it looks like that uh, J.O. Ratliff got a bronze star for that flight. Hey, Phil, didn't you get one of those for being alive on one of your deployments? <laughs> there was a time I did stay alive. <laughs> things, things, <laughs> things, 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 things have changed. I wonder, that's an interesting point because um, you can't get a bronze star for flying. I wonder if that was different back then. Yeah, that's I also saw, like in Taylor's bio that like he got like 200 air medals. I mean, just the way they yeah. treated those yeah. was kind of a different concept. Well, I, I think they did. Remember when uh, when that uh, TK deployment started, uh, the brigade commander's idea was to give an air medal for every engagement. Yeah, you know, and we're like uh, three weeks in, and we're like, hey, fucking here you go. Here's another six three eight, and they're like, oh, oh let's pump the brakes on that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, yeah, the write-up, the way it's written in regs now, and maybe it was different back then, uh, was that you an air medal is a bronze star. It's the exact same equivalency on the chart. Like if you look at a chart, a bronze star is above it, but that's just because one has to be above the other. But the air medal is the equivalent of a bronze star. You can't get a bronze star for being at the controls of an aircraft. You can't get an air medal unless you were. Because that was the whole thing with like UAV guys. They were talking about, well, can you give a UAV guy an air medal? And I was like, well, no, because they're not actually they're not actually flying. It has to be in the aircraft. They can't just well, be managing an aircraft from far I'm away. I'm pretty sure that changed about a year or two ago because now there's the little really? triplets that go on it. There's a, there's a, so a service a service air medal will just be the the blank award. There's still V for you know there you can get a Valorous right, one. Yeah. You can get a, you get a C device if it's for you know combat related things and then there's an r for uh, remote okay which is why i yeah. really on on one of my final uh afghan trips i was really lobbying hard to get one of the remote 
air medals when I was doing the fixed wing stuff because I already have a Valor one and I, you know, I got the C one. So I was like, I wanted to bat for the cycle. Yeah, that's right. Gotta go for the uh, the turkey. Um, man, these guys keep flying over. I don't know if it's coming across the audio, but I, I'm under the traffic pattern of Simmons. And so there's a constant stream of aircraft flying overhead. Um, yeah, the bronze star that Phil and I would get is for exactly for being for being good dudes. It was the the bronze star for being a good dude. So it was not for valor. I do not put that on my license plate, though. I don't know if Phil does. No, I, I prefer the, the large sticker on the uh, the back window. <laughs> With all your awards, overseas. <laughs> yeah. I really don't want to be one of those guys, but license tags are stupid expensive in Washington State. So I'm thinking about pulling the trigger and finally getting a, I don't know what plate I'll get, but uh, getting one of those award license plates. Well, I had a, my S3 when I was a battalion XO at Hood, we're good friends and, and he he texted me one day and he's like do not judge me but i'm getting an air metal license plate because he was at the dmv at the time and he's like i'm doing it because of all the benefits because he was like you get like free parking at the airport and shit like that and so i was like that's okay you know that's fine in fact i think i'm gonna when i renew here in, in north carolina i'm gonna get a purple heart one because there's some benefits some parking benefits that come with that I'm like yeah here just just give me that you've got that too don't you gordy you got a purple heart well, yeah well i i thought about it because uh you can park in the parking garage at SeaTac, and i don't have to deal with yes. the, the shuttle lot yeah yeah 100 that's what i was looking at for for north carolina it's even better i don't think that you even need a purple heart you just have to be a disabled veteran meaning you just get disability benefits and you can park at the airport for free hmm. so yeah it's worth it's worth looking at um but then you get you got a purple heart when you were an infantry guy didn't you was that it? Was that in the Battle of TK? Weren't you were at TK when like it was being taken over? Yeah, I did. So I had a I had another moment. I know that's one of your favorite stories is when we got for we're flying over TK and I was like, wait a minute, I remember that. I remember this place. Um, I I had you know another ten years later. I would I remember flying over it in the guardrail, you know, way up high, and I was like wait, I think that's Cobra. You know, I would think what counting valleys over, like, I think that, that must be TK. That's yeah. It's weird to have seen something, you know, running down the streets versus flying down the streets versus flying up at space thousand. You know what I mean? Yeah. So just weird to, uh, to have seen that over, you know, almost all 20 years of it. Yeah. I had that experience in my last deployment when I was in Iraq. Uh, Cause we flew out of, um, uh, out of Kurdistan, uh, Erbil. And so it's, it's kind of across the way from Missoula. So we would fly out to Missoula all the time. And, that, and the last time I'd been in Missoula was 2006 when I got shot. And so now it's 2018 and, uh, and I was flying Apaches and we would go out there. And I remember we were, we were circling this, this cop or something in Missoula, which looked completely different because ISIS yeah. had come in and like, everything just was like, fucked. I mean, bridges were destroyed, you know, everything was just chewed up. But uh, I remember there was like this little hill of dirt out there in the city, which was kind of like right where I was when I got shot. And it was just be like with the guy I'm flying with. I was like, oh, you see that hill over there? Like, yeah, I got shot over there like 10 years ago or 12 years ago or whatever it was. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting to kind of go back and see how things change. I mean, it's never really any good. But but I thought that was always interesting. Yeah, that you had been a ground guy and been there in Tarrant and then to go back later and fly out of there. 
Um, but that's cool too to go back and, and see that. I was thinking about September 11th, obviously, because it was it was yesterday, and um, you know where where we were when that happened. I know Phil's a bit of a younger lad. Phil's uh, in third grade. 20, yeah, Phil's in third grade. Were you in college at least? No, I was in high school. I, oh my god! Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's I good. I college till 2002. So. Well, let the men talk for a minute, and you just sit there and look pretty. <laughs> Gordy, you were you were an infantry guy at the time. I got I got to brag on Labor Day. Okay. So, yeah, like I, you know, I'd been there for a, a you know a week, two weeks, and uh, we. I remember, so I was out. I was at Green Ramp. They were testing out the new C one thirty J, and all of the bigwigs from the eighty second and eighteenth Airborne Corps were out there, and they had just taken off. Uh, with all those guys who were going to jump it and the Lockheed guys or whoever comes running out and they're like, Oh, you boys ready to go to war? And we're, you know, we thought they were just razzing <laughs> right. us and we're like, fuck yeah. And they're like, well, good. Cause New York city just got bombed. And we're like, Oh shit. Went inside just in time to see the second, uh, the second plane hit. And I remember too, the news, the, the, like the news reporter or anchor, had was saying like that the you know bush is on the phone with the commander of the 18th airborne corps like talking about what we're gonna do and i was like bullshit i i see him he's right there like he's taking (laughs) off and so they they i don't remember what was the name of the like emergency drop zone by core do you know what i'm talking about oh um yeah i don't i don't remember the name but yeah yeah i don't know if they jumped there or if they they probably still jumped at sicily but they just like you know popped and bounced and so i was on like you know this is e1 or e2 at the time gordy and i was on like bitch detail shoot shakeout and we got all of the parachute back parachutes back but like we were missing like three or four of the h harnesses because all the big wigs just popped and you know dipped and they're like well you can't go home until you find them all and I was like, well, okay. But uh, yeah, it was crazy. My I, my, my uh, battalion was on DRF-1 at the time too. 3505 was DRF-1. So we went through the full 18-hour sequence and basically we're just waiting. to. We knew we were going. We just didn't know where. Yeah, didn't you like go like pretty early on? I remember yeah. there was some story about like you guys landing in some airport in Kandahar or in uh, Afghanistan. So, well, I mean, most of the story? people that deployed landed in an airport in Afghanistan. I, I got it. All right, all right, all right. No, like something like the C-17s were like flying with like like an airliner or pretending to be an airliner. Was that you that told me that story? Yeah, yeah. That I wasn't on those two planes, but I think that's one of the coolest oh, okay. parts about it. They, the, yeah, there was the – and, I, you know, I, this is from – you know, I could be mistaken in some parts. But, yeah, there was the Jordanian sure. flight that was going into Bagram. And, you know, a growler or somebody came up, turned the jammers on, and was like, follow me. And the two C-17s came up and just f- continued on making the radio calls, taking that squawk. And then it got there and they're like, surprise, surprise, party time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, when you hear shit like that, it's just it's wild to think about. Um, and then you and then you deployed and then you guys came back and then turned around and went right back again, didn't you? Yeah, because that was before dwell time was a thing. And so I, yeah. Yeah, I deployed to Afghanistan 
and then came came back and then right when we got back it was like you know february 03 and they're like oh time to go to iraq now and then, you know i was you know young single like i didn't you know i didn't care right but I, I have a real good buddy who i'm you know still pretty close with to this day and he like essentially left with a pregnant wife and came home to like a two-year-old <laughs> yeah. just insane you know and there this is pre there's no like block leave and in, in, you know it was yeah definitely a different time yeah so were well, you already flying, you not... what's were up you already flying at that point or no i was i was um that was my first active duty assignment i had come on active duty wow. out of the guard in february of 2001 so i was in our, uh, uh korea as a mortar platoon leader because i was still an armor guy and uh so it was nighttime for me. So my wife called me. I th- I was going to bed and my wife called and um, I let it go to voicemail because I was just like, I'm tired. I'm going to bed. And I heard her say something about a crash. And I was like, she fucking wrecked the car. You know? So I went in and I'm like, and I like listened to it. I was like, wait, what? Then I called her back and she was like, turn on the news. So that was a very different experience. So, but, but it's interesting. Like you were talking about the 18th Air War Corps, our general, um our cg was uh general honore so if you remember katrina how what a a fucking shit show the whole katrina thing was and they brought in this general to like take charge of everything that was general honore they call him the raging cajun he was like from louisiana and stuff and i mean we were talking before going live about you know like cursing and, and all this that dude would say stuff that would make like sailors blush i mean he would just just rip into people and you know call them every name under the sun and um but he took over down there but he was our he was our cg and he was like trying to get us to deploy from korea to afghanistan yeah we're closer i mean that was literally like the argument like we're right fucking there and uh and i just remember thinking like i do not want to go to war in a mortar platoon because my vehicle was a soft skin humvee you know (laughs) i was like i want to go back to tanks and then i'll do that but i don't want to go in a in a humvee but a lot of guys did. I mean, were you guys? I was I mean, going to say, wow, that sounds days. really difficult. Tell me about it. Well, I'm an armor guy, so fuck you. Uh, like, that's. <laughs> I will say this. You know, those were also pre-IED days. I remember it wasn't yeah. until it, it wasn't until my second deployment that I had even heard the word IED. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, man, like to the fucking IEDs. I'm like, what's IED? They're like, oh, it's like uh, explosives under the ground. I'm like, oh, like a mine? They're like, no, 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 totally different. Right. It's this <laughs> totally bomb. Different. But it's under the ground, and then you go over it, and it explodes. It's like that fucking sounds like a mine to me. And so, like, yeah, it took me a while. And then there, yeah, there was like the interim days where it was like Mad Max because the 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 bad guys knew that the green Humvees were were soft skin and the tan Humvees were not. So rather than give us armored Humvees, they gave us spray paint. You know, <laughs> they were like, oh, yeah, that'll solve the problem. You know, and then it went. You know, we were like, you know. Just, sandbags everywhere and i think at one point they they had us uh weld in like you know half inch steel plates all over the place which was great except for the fact that those humvees are rated for like five thousand pounds not twenty thousand pounds and so like the the a frame of the humvee turned into like a w frame and like every tire is running like at a 45 degree angle on the on the on the pavement and it was just yeah it was yeah like you said different <laughs> wild times did um did you guys carry body armor back then? Was that like a thing? Yeah, we we got we had body armor for all of them. It, and it wasn't the RBAs or like the old steel plate. It was sure. the, the first. It, it didn't go. It wasn't like the new fancy shit. It, you know, it went around and stuff. But we had the ceramic plates and 
you know, all that stuff. Yeah, we had... It was, um, it was, it was still, however, the old shitty, uh, like, Kevlar helmet and not the ACH, which was a welcome Yeah, change. the old Fritz helmet. Um, we had flak jackets in armor, which nobody wore anyway, but they were like like the soft armor part. It wasn't like the you know the hard part. It was just for spall damage and stuff. Because I mean, look, if, if you're in a tank and you get hit with a sabo round, like you're getting you're getting sucked out through a hole like this big in the back of the fucking tank. Like your armor's not gonna save you. Um, but uh, I remember in I started flying in 2003 is when I went to flight school, and then. It was about 2000, I'm trying to remember, 2005. Yeah, it was right before we deployed. So it was early 2006 is when we started getting body armor in flying. Um, and I can't remember the, the name. That was Air Warrior one, right? Yeah, Air Warrior. There it goes. I couldn't remember the name. Oh, my God. That fucked us up so bad. We were unprepared for like just be, because you didn't know how to wear it. And so like we went to JRTC in like May or June right before the deployment and they gave us all this air warrior stuff. I mean, you had guys who had like three, 4,000 hours of flight time, just puking their guts out because they were just not used to wearing that shit. And you know, you, it would like sit on your guts and you know, and it was hot and um, it was not a good experience, but we were not used to flying with that. I mean, I had these, I feel maybe I'm pretty sure you too. Like, did you guys take the back of your, take the, um, the seat back out of the aircraft when you flew with yeah, the armor. That's exactly yeah. what I was going to say. Cause remember we got those, that is the one thing that Morgan did hook us up with is we got those Eagle vests and we were yeah. like probably the one yeah. unit that didn't have to deal with air warrior. But after leaving Bragg and going up to, to Lewis, like I couldn't fly without my armor. And so yeah. I would be the one weirdo that would still pull the seat out, put my armor on just because that's how, that's how my body needed to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Phil, you you did too. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I can imagine if you hadn't done that though, like all around you, 360 degrees is different. You got crap in the front of you that's in the way, and yeah, that'd be, that'd be a weird adjustment. Well, well, and it's your knees too. Like for me, I mean, and Phil, you're you're tall. I mean, fuck, all three of us are fairly tall. Um, you know, the the 58 is not a big cockpit, and your knees are already really close to the dash. And now you're you're just being pushed forward another three inches or so, you know, with all that shit. And then yeah, then you got your pistol and all this other horse shit. And yeah, I, I don't miss wearing all that stuff. But the Eagle industry stuff was pretty legit. That was it was a lot more comfortable than the, the air warrior nonsense. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh somebody in the comments earlier said that Phil doesn't look like he's old enough to drink, but I know that that's a false statement. Um can confirm. I mean, not not that we would drink overseas because that would be wrong. Um, and I would never allow that, but, uh, I know that, that he could drink if he wanted to. I also know that he could slip and slide in a hallway. Oh, yeah. oh my, do you still have your Harry Potter scar? Uh, yeah, I, I do. It's, it's lightened up over the years, but, uh, I do. I, I haven't really been flipping sliding since. How did you, how did you get your Harry Potter scar? Do we, do we want to tell the story? Well, so, you could tell that part portion. Yeah. Well, so we were. State is irrelevant. Some, yeah. some festivities with our uh, Australian friends. They were good enough to throw a little party for us. And uh, I remember walking in to their, their barracks, right? And they had the, the little bar in there, the, the fat lady's arms. The fat lady's arms. Yeah. They served like milk and water. Yeah. It was, it was awesome. Yeah, milk and water. No, I remember we walked in and, and I remember somebody saying like, 
oh, he yanks like Budweiser and Jack Daniels, right? And I was like, oh, yeah, you nailed it. Like, <laughs> exactly. And uh, anyway, we're, you know, having this little uh, party with him. And at some point, I, I look out in the hallway and some guy's running up and down with like bottles of shampoo and somebody else is running behind him with a hose. And they're just like, you know, spraying the shit all over the hallway inside the, the barracks. And, uh, and they start doing a slip and slide. And I remember Prank got in on it. And I was thinking like, all right, that sounds like a good time. So I got out there and did it a couple of times. And uh, I remember uh, it was Jeff Hotnet being like, hey, we need to go. Like, it's getting late. <laughs> and I was like, one more. Famous last word. We're going to do one more. <laughs> I went down the hallway. And you remember they had that 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 dog. I, I think I want to say her name was like Raja or something, right? It's same dog weeks later i watched just physically dismantle a motorcycle when they were uh grabbing <laughs> remember the ied maker with the gimp I, I think it was the same dog you know anyway like you know this uh like i said well-trained attack dog she walks out of a doorway and and i'm like running full board down this slippery hallway and there's no there's no opportunity to stop i think i might have made some attempt to like go over um and so I trip over the dog and come down and they had like a little bench in the hallway and I caught it right there across the top of my eye. And I don't remember, uh, you know, it knocked me out and I just remember waking up, laying in the middle of the hallway, like faces all around me. And one of the Australian guys looks down and he goes, mate, your face looks like a fucking vagina. <laughs> it's all laid open on my eyes. So. They just took me in the next room, and one of their medics just like threw some stitches in there. And, uh, and oh, you mean I the same the same medics me. the same medics who were just as drunk as you? No, Beef's got it. Well, Rich, is that right? There we go. The dog's name was. Oh, close. nice. And he also says, "I remember helping patch him up." <laughs> well, thank you. It went pretty well. Like it's it's honestly not a bad scar. Well, yeah, because I think I, for, I forbid you from going to briefings for like a couple days because I didn't want to down like a vato. He had his, his PT cap on, down well, like covering his eyes so that nobody would see it and walking around looking up like this. I like, didn't wear his fucking hat. A week and a half later, I remember I had to go into the XO's office because I was like turning in a stack of paperwork, you know, it's like award submissions or something. And he kind of looks at me and he goes, So, how did you get that shiner? And I remember just being like, ah, because, you know, the, Gordy, you and the warrants were all the time like telling you walked into a tail, like into the tail boom or, uh, you know, you fell in the bathroom and hit your face on the sink or whatever. And I, I remember I, I was like starting to come up with something and somebody else just walks in the room and I was like, all right, sir, there you go. Later. They, dude, they, I feel like, yes, we did a great job of keeping things under, under wraps. They all fucking knew. They all well, knew. It wasn't uh, doing snow angels in the rock pit. I was, yeah, I was going to say, like, when I got running down the runway in my flip-flops, like, you don't think Tower called over and they're like, uh, what's this guy doing? Like, they all knew. I, I don't that. think I remember that one. <laughs> it was the uh, the, the next post-fight uh, post victory party. Uh, let's see, what, oh, it says something else. No, Kazmo was not there. Wasn't happy. He didn't talk to me for about two days. <laughs> I would. I do remember. Well, I was. I was mad because I wasn't mad. Maybe I was mad. I don't remember if I was mad. 
I just didn't want the blowback. And yeah, I was like, he doesn't go to briefing. So like every time a team went, like it was like he would stay in the CP and everyone else would get the brief. <laughs> you seem mad. I, I remember walking in your room and you're in that ratty old armchair that you, you know, somehow acquired. And you're like sitting there. Oh, the chaplain. And yeah. I started to say something about like, okay, so like this is what happened. I'll, I'll explain it. And you look at me and you're like, you were drinking, weren't you? Go to your fucking room. I don't want to talk to you. And that was that was it for like two days. <laughs> that doesn't sound like what I would say. Good time. We recovered. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. No. Um. Yeah, we had a lot of interesting stories. Uh, you did say something famous last words, and Phil had some very famous words in the chow hall. Gordy, do you? the daddy. <laughs> Phil and his weekly burrito. They made excellent burritos there in TK. And it was it was not the food in TK was fantastic. Oh yeah. It was fantastic. Kandahar was was a shit show. I went down to Kandahar one time uh for like a change of command ceremony or something. Yeah, I had to go down there doing, you know, showing the flag. And I went into like one of the chow halls and I'm going through the line. And literally one of the meals, you know, they have a little tag or something, you know, na- naming what it is. And it said fish died, like, like had died. That was the name of the meal. And I was like, I'm going to make a fucking sandwich. Like I, it was disgusting. But up there, I mean, we had like, you had eggs to order. You had the Baskin Robbins thing, right? We had like five or six different flavors of oh, ice cream. Yeah. yeah. Phil, I remember one time we're sitting there eating and Phil's like, just like almost like under his breath or something, just like, man, I wish we had one of those panini machines like they have in Kandahar. And I remember I just like put down my food for a second. I was like, can you imagine the motherfuckers in Bastogne listening to us right now? Like freezing our ass off, no no gloves, no shoes, and here we are, you know, 100 years later or whatever, asking about a panini machine. But yeah, so they had a panini press. So you go in there on night shift and it was like the terrain of soup. And they had a panini press, and I won't—I'll be damned if I didn't eat paninis every freaking time. God, war's hell. Who, where, who had the panini press? That was up in Jabad. Oh, on second on the second rotation we did uh, after TK. Oh, well, war was hard when I went. I didn't realize you guys had a panini press, but no, honestly, the food in TK was better than Jabad. Um, yeah, but uh, at any rate, yeah, I re- you remember spicy burger night? Oh yeah, that was—I I remember that was Jerry's favorite. And uh, yeah. I, we, we'd go out on, I remember uh, early in the deployment, I was flying with uh, Pat and Jake and Jerry because it was when we were still like four to a chew and it was like we were like the, the 3 a.m. team. And so we'd get back in time for lunch. And I remember every day, Jerry with his, like he's walking like this and he'd go, <laughs> I'm going to put away some fucking chow today. <laughs> every day. Yeah. the uh, I mean, mine, first Army Mesh and I, who who lives really close to me i need i need to get him on um with you guys but um our big thing was like rice pudding rice pudding day i don't know why but we both like just not too long ago we were talking about it. i went over to his house for a barbecue and i was like oh, you remember the rice pudding he's like oh yeah so stupid but like you knew it was coming because like it would be a meal and they'd have rice and you're like not nah, two days from now it's rice pudding day because they'd have all these leftovers and sure as shit there'd be rice pudding and we'd bring like extra raisins i think he had like a thing of raisins and we'd just like bring some raisins like yeah and then there was chick-fil-a day like they would have like the chicken patties 
and then we would just make like a chick-fil-a sandwich just put some pickles on it and call it a chick-fil-a sandwich yeah it was it was it was stupid but the burrito thing killed me because what was beautiful about that scenario is that you were not talking to us yeah you had uh, built your burrito and there was like a whole bunch of us sitting at the table i remember because you were sitting across from me at the end of the table and we were all having a conversation and you just you just fucking manhandle it up you get her all wrapped up and you just went come to come to daddy or come to papa one of the two i don't remember what yeah come to papa but it was like this almost like under your breath like (laughs) breathy comment (laughs) and i remember i just went like what did you just say? And then like drew attention to you. Like, oh. <laughs> that's what was beautiful about it. If you'd have said it like loud enough for everyone to hear, I don't think it would have, it would have, it wouldn't have hit quite the same. No, I mean, I was, I was definitely in the zone. <laughs> <laughs> definitely in the zone. Tickle the burrito. Um, what, I mean, endless stories, but I was thinking Phil on a, a more serious note. Yeah. I didn't realize how many like emergency slash oh fuck moments I had on that deployment. And they were like all with you (laughs) because we had the hydraulics. We had the mushing. I I think I was. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I was, and I think I was with you when we had the low rotor in that Valley that connected like, uh, what was that next Valley over? started with like a d or something like that i can't remember what it was called like to the to the west yeah 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 yeah. i I feel like that was you and suddenly like we were in that middle of that valley where there's like nowhere to go and all of a sudden we get a low rotor warning like and i'd never had that happen before since like just suddenly just low rotor warning went off and because i think it was with you does this sound familiar I remember that happening with Slim. Uh, I don't remember a low rotor over by Darawood. Maybe it was a mod. I can't. I, I just remember whoever it was. They, you know, somebody was in the right seat. I was in the left seat, and that went off. And I just immediately just fucking like like I have controls, and I just like jammed the the collective not down, but like just lowered it. And I started looking around immediately because I was like, we're we're not we're going into the valley. There's nowhere else to go. Uh, it was not good. But that, we had the hydraulics, which. There was so much to unpack on that one because you had just come back from leave, right? Yeah, I think this was like your first flight and you were sitting right seat initially. Yeah. You Is that right? Do you remember that? Yeah, right seat. I remember we stopped at Frontenac to get gas and I was like, man, you know, I was still kind of like getting back to used to being in the saddle. And I was like, man, my, you know, my ass hurts. Like, let me sit in the left seat because I can move around more. And so we just swapped. And then it was just a little bit after that. Well, it was dark, right? Because we'd gone up towards yeah. What was that little op? It was up towards the northeast as the valley branched off. Yeah, we were just up north. You know, like a little uh, patrol base up there, and they just—I remember—they just had a patrol out, and we were just just watching them come back home. You know, just keeping an eye on on things for them. It was so you know nothing super dramatic was happening. It was just one of those you know zero loom nights or dark as a sack of assholes, as you like to say, and. Uh, you know, we're just cruising around, keeping an eye on things, and all of a sudden, just you know, bong, 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 and we looked down. It was hydraulics failure. Like, okay, like, got it. We can handle this. I remember it taking kind of a long time to find the the circuit breaker in the dark. You know, and like actually sure. doing it. Um, but you know, fine. We got control. Yeah, you you know, you got control of it. Fine. It still flies. 
the thing that I remember really kind of being unnerving was um, that at first, you know, the, the pedals were stiff and, you know, you don't think about that necessarily being hydraulically controlled. You can feel it in the collective and cyclic, obviously, but you go, shit, I think we got to fix pedal. And I just remember thinking in that moment, like, well, this is it. Hydraulic <laughs> fix pedal. Like, we're just going to roll down the runway. And uh, yeah, I, because we never practiced it, right? Yeah. You did, you did hydraulics off in flight school and then you got out to the unit and you never did it again. You, they would turn off the SCAS, which doesn't feel anything like losing hydraulics. I don't know why we do that, but, but that's what we do. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I rem and the other thing I remember about that was it was only recently that they'd put in the, uh, the hard stand runway for the UAVs because mm -hmm. uh, Terrencat had a dirt strip, dirt, yeah. which, I don't, I don't know what the prospects of the run on on dirt strip are, but it's, you know, probably not as smooth as it looks with C-17s landing there all the time. And, but they just put in that one with that nice steel, uh, what was it, EM, EM2 or whatever that steel matting was. Something. And uh, so, yeah, that was a, it was a nice run on. And then the, the Dutch fire and rescue guys were there waiting for us. So it was, yeah, as it went, but. Well, I, I do recall like we've been up for like four hours on this flight and it was, it was like you said, it was a nothing going on. It was one of those like Frank ones. Cause Frank was lead and Frank, like if you could tell him, Hey, you're staying out there like 10 hours, he would just stay out there 10 hours. Cause he just fucking, he loved it. Right. That's just what he wanted to do. Um, Cause I remember I'd be like, Frank, nothing's going on. Like we're going home. Like let's turn around. I'm hungry. You know, like there's literally no reason to be here. And so I think on that one, we were actually turning to head home and we we're about 10 miles North. And I heard, I don't know if you heard it, but I heard it happen. I didn't know what it was. I remember hearing like this weep sound, this whining just for a few seconds. Because I remember thinking in my head, like, what would anyone shoot at us that sounds like this? Because I don't, I, I just can't recognize what this sound is and it's not normal. And then, the, and then the air, I felt the air, I felt the controls just like jump in my hand just for a second and went bong. And, um, which I think the hydraulic one, it only bonged once, if I re if I recall. Like, it's just a single, like, bong. And you're like, oh, shit. And it popped up and said hydraulics failure. And I called Frank. I was like, well, we just lost hydraulics. And it was this long pause. And then Frank calls me. He's like, are, are you serious? And because he, he told me later, he's like, I thought you were kidding because you just said it so, like, matter-of-factly. You know, it's like, we just lost hydraulics. Um, and then we're flying back and yeah, the pedals, like, I just was not used to that or I couldn't remember that cause it had been so long that the pedals were also much stiffer than I remember. And I, yeah, I remember telling you, like, I think something's wrong with the, the pedals and you're just like, Oh God. <laughs> and I, was, I think I made a comment like, aren't you glad you came back from leave? <laughs> was a lot, like a lot scarier event. I mean, the hydraulic one with that, they had that we had, I think there was that moment of kind of like, uh oh, but yeah, you know, whatever. Well, once you get it under control, it's fine. Yeah. As as I think the worst it. part, the worst part on that was one, it was night. You never practice hydraulics off at night. Yeah. So you're trying to do it under goggles. And just like you said, there's that UAV strip, which I remember it being concrete, but I, you know, it doesn't matter. It was hard. It wasn't dirt. And this had been like a, a recurring conversation throughout the deployment like hey if you had to do a run on landing where are you going to do it um because i remember some guys were saying well i would go and try for parking because you did have yeah. that like open area yeah and there were some people yeah like far parking 
and I had just driven past the UAV strip a couple days prior to this happening. And I remember looking out the door, looking out the window at it because it had arrestor cables. That's how they would catch those, those UAV. I think they were shadows. I can't remember what kind they were, but, um, that it, but I remember kind of seeing those. And so when I shot my approach, I just did it really long. Cause I was like, okay, they're roughly there. But the hardest part of that approach was there was no lights. Yeah. And so there was lights on the runway, which were garbage because it was a dirt runway. And then there was just black. It was just this, this nothing area. And then you had all the Dutch firefighters lined up alongside of that with every light imaginable going. And Frank was talking to tower doing all that stuff, being like super helpful. And uh, I remember I just called Frank. I was like, dude, tell them to turn those lights off. I can't see a fucking thing. And so he turned them all off. And then I just shot my approach for the dark. And I remember keeping it above like 40 knots because again, the tail rotor was acting weird. And I just, I just wasn't registering in my head or anything, which still was the right answer. But I mean, we were screaming in, you know, like at 40, 50 knots. Um, cause I want to keep it above 40. Cause that was like the magic number. And, uh, and I remember us hitting and like, it was a good landing and we're skidding down straight. And then do you remember the 58 at the end of a run on land? It would just start sliding like, off to the right. And the moment it started to slide, that's where their little control station was. And so I was like, motherfucker, like there was like nothing but space. And now we're just going to slide right into this thing. But we stopped. And I remember sparks were like flying past us off the skids. Um, and that's when, yeah, I got out and I just kind of like just sat there for a second. The, the fire guys were, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm good. I just, I just need a minute. Like I'm a little stressed, but, um, but the mushing, what, yeah. What tell, tell that story. Cause that was fun. So I, I got thinking about it because you were saying, like, what are some thoughts about flying in the mountains? And, you know, just yeah, I, I remember, you know, the controls are just a lot more sluggish. You're you're high. I mean, TK was what, around 4,000 feet, I think. Four and a half, I think. Yeah. Like 42, 43, something like that. And then, you know, so you're, you're already kind of high. It's hot um, most of the year. And and so everything's just kind of sluggish. And um, we were a little bit south around belly button right so it's kind of that, that kind of no man's land between tk and frontenac and i, I if i remember yeah. correctly it was epi bravo was out doing a patrol and we were you know so we had checked in with them because they'd had had a, a tick or something you know a few firefights um clearing through a, a village or a couple of little villages and they'd had some recent contacts we got on station and i, I was flying with you and i want to say frank and weaver uh yeah they were they were leaving yeah, we was in the right yeah. frank was in the left yeah and i'm pretty sure we were both rocket hellfire because between us we had three hellfires and yeah. our site was busted we got on station and it i don't remember if the the picture was grainy or i i seem to remember it had like a bob that you couldn't control and so you couldn't yeah. leave light on anything so we ended up just letting them designate and, and shoot but we got on station and Evie bravo kind of talked on where they were and we got some guys moving. It was like there was a little ravine, you know, just running dry, kind of it was dry at the time, running through the village. And there's some guys coming out of the village in the tree line. And so they cleared us onto those guys. And I remember, I think Frank and Weave shot there. I don't remember if we had two and they had one or vice versa, but they shot theirs and then designated for us and we shot ours. So it was like three hellfires, which, you know, were pretty good shots. And then we came back around for a pass with rockets just to, you know, pepper up the tree line with those. And I remember they shot first and, and you, you correct me if your recollections at all different, but we had bumped, you know, behind them, we were trail and they took a little while before they, you know, turned out. And so we were already like in that dive for a little bit before we, we had, you know, a clear line to shoot. 
put the rockets down, but then as you know, you go to turn and, and climb out of it, we started mushing. And for anybody who doesn't know mushing, it's, you know, when, you're, when your rotor blade uh, tips rear, you know, you pull back on the cyclic, um, you're kind of dipping into the, the dirty air of the, the downwash. And in that higher, you know, that, those thinner air conditions, um, you're, you, you're not producing lift. And so the aircraft starts to, it gets a vibration, just shudders along and you're just sinking. And really all you can do is put the cyclic back forward and try to fly out of it, right? To, to get out of your air and um, you, you can't apply more collective is the, the moral of the story. You can't power out of it. Yeah. But uh, I just remember looking out the door and as we're, <laughs> we're coming down, you know, it's into this ravine. We've just shot three hellfires and a dozen rockets in here. And, and uh, the locals won't be happy. <laughs> and uh, watching the treetops just kind of get higher <laughs> around the side of the aircraft. And I don't remember what the altitude was, but it was not high before we got climbing again. Yeah, it was pretty low. Well, what happened, uh, you're sort of right. We, we didn't bump. What happened was um, he went in for rockets and we were up high behind him, like probably like a thousand feet AGL. And we were just kind of like watching. And he was, and Frank was like, we're just going to put a couple of rockets in this tree line or whatever. I was like, all right, cool. I had no intention to, to shoot. Like I was just like covering him, you know, observing or whatever. Um, because it just wasn't that situation where he's like, okay, we better be on him. You know, like, what is it? Cover one or whatever that bullshit that like pack him up with like the cover one, cover two, you know, that type of thing. Um, and so we're, I guess we're cover three. So he's shoot the rockets and, and he pulls off and he's like, and he starts giving us corrections and I'm like, Oh, he, he wants me to shoot. So I nose it over. And yeah. So now we're like coming out and it's like the Memphis bell. I'm like trying to pull it out, you know? And, and yeah, we just start mushing and yeah, you just see like the hilltops just coming up like this. And I'm like, Oh, motherfucker. And I think you said later, like you're going to mark the target with one burning OH 58. <laughs> and Frank said later he that like they're pulling out and he's looking back over their shoulder and they and he sees us just like plowing in like this <laughs> with our nose up in the air and we're just falling and he's like you see that that's mushing because you know Ahmad was still new so he's like teaching him shit he's like that's mushing and I was like oh my god and then we had the thing up on the top of the hill too right remember the predator or the reaper or whatever the fuck it was yeah marking that uh, it was a solar panel right for a repeater yeah. Yeah, yeah, because the guy's like, "Hey, hey, mate, there's a repeater up on top of the hill," and I was like, "All right, cool, we'll go take a look." And it was like, "Wait, it was like you know, two thousand foot mountain, you know, AGL mountain peak." So we go puttering up there, and you're like, "Oh yeah, I see it." And it was like, "Yeah, this little solar panel with the antenna sticking out of it." And uh, I think I remember calling him like, "Okay, do you want us to like shoot it?" Because I was just gonna have you take your M4 out and just like shoot the solar panel. And yeah. the dude's like, nah, mate, we're going to drop a bomb on it. Because the Reaper was overhead with a 500-pound bomb or some shit. And the JTACs, I guess they keep track of, like, tonnage. You know, like, that's their scorecard. Yep. And so we called the Reaper. And I think the Reaper was like, can you can you sparkle it? So shoot the IR pointer. It's like 4.30 in the afternoon. And you like you and I look at each other like, what the... F and I was like, just put your goggles on and don't put the... Uh, the take Leave the lens caps on because <laughs> like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> so he puts his goggles on without the lens caps or with the lens caps on and he, and he sparkles it. And then you're like, oh, yep, they see it. 
Because you said like the whole top of the mountain just started like flashing because yeah. they're shooting theirs on top of yours. So you got this little spot and all of a sudden there's like this, you know, like eight yard by eight yard flash. And then we go zipping off and the whole top of the mountain just explodes. But that was a cool engagement because then the Apache showed up as we were leaving and they were like checking in, you know, they're like hard. Like, this is a fable for one in flight uh, two Apache, blah, blah, blah. And the dude's like, ah, oh, Roger, uh, bam, bam's cleaned up everything, but we've got a couple NAIs for you to look at. And we're all like, Ooh, yeah. <laughs> you'll never hear it again, you know, but it was like beautiful. And I was like, fuck, I wish that was on tape. It was so good. Yeah. Gordy, did you have any close calls on that tour? I don't remember anything. I mean, I'm probably my closest call on that tour was also with Phil. Not when I thought we were going to die, but when I thought we were about to go to jail. (laughs) Oh God. Yeah. Well, geez. Yeah. Yeah. Open the door on that one. (laughs) You know, the follow-up to that too, right? Is that the, so I'll I'll give the the two second version of the story. Uh, We were out supporting, uh, uh, the special operations guys way out east of Cobra. Well, not even, I guess even before that, we were out d- during pre-flight. Uh, we tuned up the the SATCOM radio to the to the swoopy guy freak just to see what was going on. And we, you know, we recognized, you know, hey, there's a fight happening and plugged in the grid. We're like, oh man, we're close. And so without going through Wolfpack or anyone, we're just called them. We're like, you guys want some Kiowas? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. Because they had a full stack. They had a Spectre. They had F-18s. They had UAS on station. Then I remember weather was bad. And so some of that stuff was pulling off. Well, I think a lot of it, too, was, you know, we had shot with those guys so much that, yeah, it was part like we're on cool guy status. But, too, like they 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 trusted us, you know, and we uh, we went out there and everything was fantastic. And honestly, and it's funny, too, as I think back about that day, Phil. I think one of the biggest things that saved us, even if everything else was procedurally the same, the fact that I was not on the radio, just because of how like you were yes sir, no sir, three bags full, like you like spoke in doctrine. And I can only imagine listening to those tapes if I would have been talking to Jag. And I mean, it just, I mean, it, w- it would have been fine because it would, you know, from the, like from a legal standpoint, but just like, you know, from a like, ugh. Like, just, yeah, I mean, just, that's the credit to Frank and Pat, though, you know, about oh, yeah, like just drilling, talk to the tape, talk to the tape, talk to the tape, and yeah. you know, build your story before it's time to pull the trigger. Because I mean, I remember we were intentional about that, even after we had a conversation and everybody knew what was up before we shot, we went back and like talked back through with Jag all the rationale of yeah. what we were about to do yeah. and why. I think too, I think that, you know, while we all like to, you know, you know, once we knew those guys well enough that we would talk to them on the radio, just like normal people. But I, there was a something in the air that, you know, we all knew that it was a little more serious, but yeah, we, we, we had a, you know, almost a textbook, perfect three vehicle engagement, lead trail middle, went back to get gas. Uh, the, our FARP asked us when we got back, like, Hey, what's going on with the, the Civcast shoot? And we're like, what are you talking about? No, that's not us. We're dealing with something else. Went back out again, ran out of gas again, came back, and they're like, you're done. You need to turn off the aircraft. <laughs> but uh, the yeah. crazy thing about that story is, and I don't know if you know this, and maybe you guys don't know this, you know they they interviewed people, the Miami Herald. I have the article. The, the Miami Herald interviewed people that were on the ground, and they talked about how we both, we just kept firing our machine guns at them, even though we were both 
rocket. Yeah, we didn't have machine. Yeah. None of our aircraft had uh, 50 guns. Dubious, right? Because those guys had come up from the province north of there, right? Or that's where the vehicles had originated. Yeah. It, like before the sun came up, they were watching them. And the story was they were going down to a, you know, and, the helmet. helmet offensive. Yeah. Right. And, and uh, it was just, sister, you know, it was just well, so crazy how it was. One of up, since I, if we're going to go into this, let's like unpack it. Right. So let's go back because it's probably confusing for anyone who's listening. But do you, I mean, do you guys want to talk about it? I mean, you want to, you want to go okay. through it? Okay. I don't mind. So, because I was, I mean, I was in the States when this happened, which probably saved me from getting fired, honestly. The, the like the, the undercurrent of leadership, the way things were back then, I probably would have been fired if I wasn't out of the country. They would have just found a reason, like, oh, you're fucking relieved. But so go through, like, you guys, you checked in, you you went out, and it was nighttime still. You checked in with, you, you, you're saying Jag, what we're saying is Jaguar. That was the call sign of the JTACs who worked with the special operations guys up in that in that region. And so you checked in with Jaguar. What what was going on when you guys checked in? So they were they were very, you know, they had they had been developing this situation for probably the last three or four hours, and they had us actually just go out to Cobra and sit flat pitch. They didn't have us come mm-hmm. out immediately. They, they they said, "Hey, go here and there." And I if when if you see the map of Shawalikot, you can kind of see. So they were just west of they were like one valley over from Cobra. These guys were two valleys over and they were, they were coming down that Shawalikot Valley on the way to Helmand. And the chatter that they had been picking up was saying like, Hey, we know where this ODA is and uh, you know, all these ANA guys. And it was originally a five vehicle convoy. Two of the vehicles broke off and went directly towards them. The radio chatter said the three vehicles are going to come around South and, you know, we'll have them from, from both sides. And so they were waiting and it's their, their, their kind of decision point was if these vehicles continue straight and proceed to Hellman, good job. It's their lucky day. If they start to come around, then it's, you know, kind of time to escalate. And so as soon as they started to break off back towards the East, they had us come out and uh, get eyes on them and, you know, proper vehicle ID, you know, all that jazz. And originally the plan was, it was going to be a, a three-way shot between it was me and Phil. It was uh, Ahmad and I think Omar Torres. Yep. And then uh, the the third vehicle was going to be shot by the Predator. But for whatever reason, those guys had they had two missiles that day. And so, uh, and I, I think you know, I think that part of the engagement did kind of fall down to the fact that we had such a good working relationship with those guys that they were like, nope, we're we're going to have Bam Bam do all three of them. Yep. And I remember we discussed too, we told the Predator crew to, to wave off because we were going to have to go back and get gas. Yeah. They were going to have station time. So like, keep your missile because you're going right. to be here. So, yeah. And so we, we waited until they were at a, you know, a, a, an advantageous spot for us, you know, for, for the engagement site. And we timed up the first two shots that hit within, you know, a second or two of each other on the front and rear vehicle and i remember i so phil and i shot the front vehicle and it was it was a hilux that had 18 dudes in it crazy um and then uh omar and uh, ahmad came around and shot the middle vehicle and we at this point too we were all like just because of how long it takes things for develop to develop in situations like that like we're already pretty close to bingo um and so we ended up going, I, there was at, the, at that point, the middle, the middle vehicle people though, they knew like, Hey, the car in front of me and behind me just exploded. 
we better unask this thing. And so the, the, the third missile, it hit the vehicle, but it hit the engine block and all the doors were open. So it, it didn't do as much damage to like the people. And so we got, we decided to go back in with rockets. And I think on our first pass, Phil and I had seen, we saw some like brightly colored clothes and we're like, Oh boy. So we immediately, you know, called off everything, but at the same time, you can still see like fighting age dudes, like running and getting covered. Like they're, they're still, they're still in the fight at that point. So we break to get gas and that's when that first radio call happened. And they're like, Hey, what's going on out there? And we, at this point we were like, I don't know what you're talking about, but we're in the middle of a tick. So we're hauling ass back out there. And the craziest part about it was by the time we got back, the locals had already picked up all the bodies and stacked them like, like a, a cordwood on the side of the road. And so, you know, it's like, what, you know, what's there, what's not there. Uh, I know Jag was trying to get some Blackhawks to come because they, they're, you know, di- bird's eye distance or uh, as the crow flies, they're pretty close, but it's, you know, it's a significant. Oh, it's hours. Yeah. 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 On the other side of the ridge. Yeah, so they yeah. they were trying to get a ride out there, um, and you know th- by this point we hadn't even given a we had not even given a like a sit rep to Wolfpack about what was going on, and it had already hit the Associated Press that it was forty two women and children, and it's like come on you know so by the time they w- when we got back for gas that time yeah like you said like it was a shut down like you were. I, mean, McChrystal, I, I seem to remember McChrystal had already called and like issued an apology to Karzai before our blade. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I remember too. So I had, we landed and before we even went into the talk, we kind of realized like, yo, like this could go bad. We gave the Pimka cards to the crew chiefs and we're like, make a copy of this before we mm-hmm. turn it in. But, you know, it's like, I want a copy of it because I know that everything that we did you know, was both like legal and it was against bad guys, but yeah, it was, it was crazy. And then to, to see that, to see that hit, uh, you know, like the Miami Herald, like before our debrief had come in saying that we were like shooting machine guns was just, you know, it, it honestly being on that side of a story that comes out as some huge civcast makes me question all of them. Yeah. You know, when you see so things in the news for so long, it, like yeah. I never saw the story straight, and we knew factually that large parts of what we were saying was wrong, and and I I kind of understand why the army, like nobody ever said anything different because yeah. at that point you're you know you're managing the damage the sort of the moral yeah. damage of the Afghan government. I mean, you know, airstrike and civcast were a hot thing, but. Uh, no, like nobody ever retracted it, and we knew from you know minute go that what was being reported wasn't correct. It wasn't true. Yeah, and by the time the by the time Jag did get there, you know, of course, you know, there, of course, there's no weapons. There's brass. There's no weapons. They uh, they did find the majority of the dudes were card carrying uh, uh, pack army guys, weren't they? Do you remember that part? No, I don't. I remember you had some conversations with the ODA guys when we were down in Kandahar, though. That, but, so, uh, you know, we went through the process, the, you know, the whole investigation process. And, you know, we were never on the line. You know, the Pat Macri, like they, the, the 
the ODA guys were on the line, but you know, those are our, those are our pizos, you know, but the, the craziest part about it all is if you fast forward a year and you know, you had moved on to bigger and better things and we're all headed back over to Afghanistan and we went through Manus yes. and as part of the RSOI process going through Manus, you got to do your vehicle rollover training. You got to do this, you got to do that. You have to sit through a, a, you know, a bunch of briefings in one of the videos like safety center produced, like, you know, animated everything was that was that whole day. But the version where we did like shoot women and children. Yeah. Hmm. The army had turned it into a teaching lesson. Yeah, it was, it was the exact scenario that they, that happened, but it would obviously. I wish I was in the room with you, Gordy, because I remember they got to the end of the video and I'm sitting there just like, holy crap. Like, this is a thing. I was like, Actually, I, I can tell you about the lesson, guys. <laughs> yeah, I did. Well, I raised my hand and I was like, uh, I don't know how to break this to you, but three of the four pilots that that like are in this fucking room right now. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and I, there was no point in getting upset about it because it was just some poor Air sure. Force E5. Like, he's just like, yo, dog, I just pushed play on the PowerPoint. Um, yeah. But I did. I have a copy of it. He was he was cool enough. I was like, can I please have a copy of this video? Yeah. 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 I mean, it was like. I remember the first time I heard about it, I was in um, Kuwait because I had flown, you know, you land in Kuwait and then you get sent out. Like, remember Kuwait was just like the black hole. You could get stuck in a time warp and be there. I think I was there for an extra week. Like, so I'd been home on leave for two weeks. And I got, and I was in Kuwait for like five days. And I remember reading like army times and it was like, you know, massive Civcast strike in Aruzgan province. And I was like, glad that wasn't my boys. Cause I would have heard about it. <laughs> and then, I, and then like two days later, I land, I land in Kandahar, and I, you know, we had those Roshan phones or whatever, and I, I call a uh, first sergeant, and I was like, hey, I just landed, you know, I'm in Kandahar, so I'm gonna try to catch, you know, whatever up to you guys, and he's like, yeah, you know, everything's good, you know, the, the boys are down getting questioned right now in Kandahar. What? What? What are you talking about? He's like, yeah, for that Civcast thing. And I just remember being like, that was us. And like, I said it so loud that everyone on the bus like turned and looked at me like, what is this guy? You know, what's, what's going on? Did you um, come see us? I don't remember that. Did, were you, you were down in Canada no, when we were there? I, I, I landed, I don't even remember how, but I, I think I got there. I got off the plane and I think I just jumped on a Black Hawk that was going up to TK. Oh, um, and then I went into like the S3's office and like the very first thing he was like, well, you guys fucked up. And I was like, hmm, I don't know. Heard it was a good shoot. I was like, why don't we wait till the investigation gets finished? Because, yeah, like, why are we talking about any of this stuff before we go through the process and, and check things out? I think some UAV guys got fired over that, though. I oh, think really? there was some bad intel that was getting pushed. Yeah, I don't remember. The report, like, you know, years or whatever after it happened, and they had faulted some of them for, like, some of the reporting that they were doing but it was like it wasn't stuff that we were privy to it was like you know recording right. conversations they were having off camera and stuff um right and that's always right. related to the period of time where we were on station with them either yeah well what, pe what people have to remember too is is particularly in that situation you guys were a platform by which to deliver munitions like that was a little uncommon for us. It was common working with like people like Jaguar who are used to just stacking the deck with lots of stuff, but they're ultimately the, the guys on the ground are ultimately responsible for 
for calling airstrikes in, right? As an air crew member, you are responsible for the munitions that come off your aircraft, but, but up to a certain point, if you're cleared to engage a target and you don't have any solid reason not to engage that target, that's your job. Like that's what you do. Um, I think for us as army aircraft, it's a little bit different in some respects because of the way that we operate, because we don't necessarily work like CAS. Um, but at the end of the day, you guys were cast that day. I mean, hundred percent, you were checking in with a JTAC, you were getting talked onto a target. They were getting fed Intel because they weren't on the scene necessarily observing. Right. So it's like a type three control. They're getting Intel from other places. I'm sure they had one of those Rover things or whatever they call it. And they're watching the, the UAV feed too, but the UAV guys are feeding them. I remember you guys telling me around that time that the, that the, uh, the specter gunship was overhead and they were trying to get permission to shoot. And I think the SF guys were like, no, let's hold off. Let's wait till daylight so we can develop this more. So there was there was a lot of tactical patience. And I think that's what saved a lot of people's careers. If yeah. if if they would have just been like, fuck it, you know, just do it. It would have been probably a little bit different story. But I think just like you said, uh, Gordy, in the beginning, like going through the process and it takes it's so it's so mind numbing. It takes so long. Like that engagement I, I talked about earlier where we landed with like 20 pounds of gas. It's because we waited for like 45 minutes for approval. I yeah. see these guys moving tactically through the woods after an IED had gone off. Like, they're fucking bad. Like there's no reason for dudes to be hanging out at night, running around between the trees and doing all the shit they were doing. But I didn't just fucking say, just shoot them, just shoot them and be done with that. No, I went through the process and called home and it takes a really long time. And that's sort of the due diligence. And that's why I get frustrated personally when, you know, and it happens, it, it is what it is. But people always say, oh, you guys just fuck, you know, you just shoot at anything, man. There's so much work that goes into, um, into those engagements. And and certainly there are times where people kind of just take it a little bit, um, a little bit fast and loose. It was, it, it did not happen in our troop. Like, I don't remember anyone ever being fast and loose. And, and because of what you just talked about with like Frank and Pat, like there was a, there was a, a, a culture of doing it slow and doing it right and doing it methodical and talking to the tape which for people who don't know we're talking about, that's like understanding that you're being recorded and that everything you say is going to be examined in full detail. I remember having a flight canceled one time or a mission canceled because they needed me to fly gun tape down to Kandahar from, I think, the day team because they had engaged a dude who was very clearly putting an IED. And then the report was, well, he was looking for cell phone signal. What, 50 feet below the ground? Like, where? Where was he looking for cell phone signal? Like, he's digging a fucking hole on the side of the road. He's got far side or, you know, long range security either side of him. And there was a secondary on his goddamn motorcycle when it got hit. You know, like, he's bad, you know? But I had to stop. It probably was. It probably was. It was probably you. I don't know if Phil was. I think. I don't remember who it was. Yeah, the motorcycle with the Aussies found him. But, you know, to what you were saying, like, you know, people get, you know, like, oh, you guys get excited. I'm not going to lie. I do get excited because this sure. is my job. You know what? Bankers get excited when they make a loan. Like if you're a salesman, <laughs> you have a big sale, like you're going to yeah. get excited. My job, this was what I practiced to do. And so when yeah. it happened, yeah, I was excited. Now that does that mean that I was ever not super deliberate? No, that they're not mutually exclusive. You know, but with yeah. this case, with that incident in particular, like it did, it hurt a little bit to know that like, hey, do you guys want to hear my side of the story? Do you want to see what actually happened? 
before you villainize everyone? And the answer to that was unfortunately no. You well, know, and the investigators were fine. They were the super professional, the investigators, because we did yeah. a NATO investigation, and then we did a U.S.-led investigation. So it was like two weeks of stuff. And then granted, we individually were not involved all that time, but, you know, they were talking to us and ODA and the JTAC a lot and all that. And uh, it was our brigade because yeah. we were gone, unfortunately. And so it was like Alpha Troop kind of circled up and like, you know, took care of us. I remember Frank really going to bat, but the S3, the brigade, the battalion commander, the brigade commander, nobody said boo to us. Yeah. Kind of like, go sit in your talk. You'll be dealt with. Nobody asked. Nobody wanted to, to know. It, like it was just right. like, and it was kind of like, man. Like, yeah. Just to, tie, just to tie things all circle, we'll circle all the way back around to Captain Taylor. You want to talk about awards that are, you know, behind the times. Uh, sounds to me like we were vindicated and we smoked 42 guts. <laughs> that doesn't sound like investigation. That sounds to me like air metal. Air metal. Well, yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't expect that's going to be hitting your mailbox anytime soon, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> now that, that was incredibly frustrating. I, you know, we were already frustrated. Um, you bring up an excellent point. Alpha troop was cut off from its squadron was stuck with an Apache battalion who, you know, we got along well, I think with the flight troops, like with the Apache yeah. troop, with yeah. the, the Blackhawk or company, the Blackhawk company, like we all got along. Um, there was a war. I don't know how much you guys saw of it. I saw it. Uh, there was a war going on between the battalion and the squadron headquarters. You know, there was um, jockeying for resources. Um, you know, the, the Apache commander at the time was not happy about getting Kiowas and losing Apaches. Like he wanted to just be pure and do Apache stuff. And I got it, but that's not the right kind of war for that. It wasn't the right type of environment. Um, and I think, and I've watched this happen anytime that units are, are, are split apart. They can be the tightest family ever. The moment you start splitting parts of that out, it becomes very insular. And it's like, no, this is mine, you know? And guys that I had known for years and years and years, I'd have to like arm wrestle with them to get us parts. You know, there was some special tail rotor tool that, you know, they sent us one and they only had like two. They sent us one and the Blackhawk guys, like, I guess they put the box down somewhere and no one, no one got it. So it just disappeared. And so like, we needed to get stuff done on our tail rotor. And I was like, Hey, you know, we need this tool. Well, you got to fly it down here. I was like, bro, I got six airplanes up here. What am I like? I can't do that. You know? Yeah. You have to bring me this fucking tool. We have to do this. We have to work together. But it was it would hurt me because I was like, I've known this dude. I'm not gonna say his name, but I've known this dude for years. And I'm having to argue with you about taking care of me from a maintenance standpoint. Like, man, this is your job. Like, and it's my job to tell you like that it's your job. Um, and it was very frustrating. And so I think that was like the icing on the cake because that was fairly late in the deployment. Cause I think I went home and I think it was February. February. I think I went home around February. Um and so, yeah, I, I, I know I came back and you guys were like totally down in the dumps, you know, to, to some extent about that because, yeah, it's unfair, right? It's unfair. To, but the strategic messaging that goes on, you know, and, and I, I hate to say it on their behalf to, to you. It's like it's not personal. Like no. they didn't give like it's not personal. It's oh, business, know. right? It's like, how do you keep the machine going? And I know you guys are smart enough to know that, um, but it still hurts <laughs> and it still feels I really shitty. I mean, when I you think it was... in your company talk, it could be personal, you yeah. know, like at, at the Stanley McChrystal level, like, got it. You got to say what you got to say. Cause we're losing, 
you know, we're losing public perception at large. And that was just yeah. one more, you know, brick in the wall, so to speak. But I think I, too, and I don't know if it was just a, you know, a regime change, but I, it was a very different experience that the next deployment yeah. and I, you know, maybe that was because they left the whole brigade in those task force formations and it wasn't a last minute, like, Hey, Apache company, you're going here. Hey, you know, capture. You're going here. Yeah. yeah. Like when that second, you know, that the Salerno deployment, it, it truly did feel like, you know, we are, we are like a task force at this point. And maybe it's because we had, you know, done so much together, um, you know, or, you know, it, like it could have just been a leadership thing, but it, it just had such right. a different feel that I, I never had a moment on, on that deployment. Like if I came back, and we had, you know, had an engagement there. It was, it would, there was never, it was, you never, you, you were never guilty until proven innocent sort of thing. Right. Yeah. I think splitting up like the task score, cause you guys were doing that when I left and we were moving, literally move the hangar or like offices to the oh, other yeah. hangar. I think that was the right, the right call um, to build those relationships. Cause at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. It's, it's those relationships. And, uh, you're kind of uh, adopted, you know, the, the redheaded stepchild or whatever. And you, well, I don't speak too ill of Gordy and his red hair, but his soulless, <laughs> soullessness. But, um, but yeah, you kind of get treated like shit when it's that last minute uh, transfer. Yeah. So, well, boys, it's been two hours, and I have an early flight to work tomorrow, which sucks. And I'm sure Gordy's got to study his uh, his poster. Yep. Um, and learn all the goodness. And Phil's got probably a pipe to smoke and maybe uh, a snifter of brandy and some prune juice I've been, I've been taking uh close notes of all the good suggestions in the chat so <laughs> yeah um yeah these guys want you to fly uh fly dcs um that's that's a huge that's a huge monetary uh commitment for people to yeah get when you first started getting when when the kiowa model of dcs came out I got all excited to, to give it a it's shot. It's not even out yet. <laughs> oh, oh, it's not out yet? You got me all excited, and I, I downloaded it, and like my laptop's too shitty, and just with traveling, yeah. I got to live the laptop life. I can't, can't – I guess yeah. I could get a gaming PC just for that, but uh, Pretty soon, you're going to get that fat airline money. You're gonna you're gonna be like I, I don't know what to do with all this money that I have. Yeah, it's going to take a little bit to, to outpace the corporate job. Really? I'll have yeah. to look at their pay scale. I haven't looked at the Alaskans' pay scale. Oh, he's got a fat bump. Oh, yeah. Well, that must be nice. <laughs> well, all right. Well, gents, like I said, uh, thanks for coming on and uh, reminiscing. Um, yeah, thank you. It's disjointed, it. just like our relationship, but I've, I've enjoyed it. We, we got to do it again, um, I think, with alcohol next time. And... Uh, I'm sure there's a ton of other stories that we've forgotten about. So I'll have to think through. I'll have to get like the whole gang, like just get like fucking everybody. We need the quote book. That's what we need. No, <laughs> it's 2023. <laughs> now you go to That would be the worst thing you could ever do is to. That's to, true. To, to, <laughs> that, that thing got burned. I was and thinking about that. That is me saying that. <laughs> you got to throw that yeah. back in the corridor, you know, like destroy. It's so much as, I mean, just, I remember um, when I was a Woj, the things we would do and the things we would say, like you could not, I mean, I remember we got in trouble because we, we got that Hooters calendar hanging up 
remember Hooters like sent us all calendars and stuff and we had that Hooters hang calendar hanging up in the CP. And I think we got in trouble for having that or something. But man, 2004, don't leave your map out. Somebody's going to get a hold of your map, especially before you get it laminated and uh, something's going to be on there. You're not going to see it till like six months later. But anyway, all right. Well, we will wrap it up there. Chat, thanks for following along and uh, hope you enjoyed it. And for those listening later, because normally I do like an audio like overlay for the beginning of the show. I'm not going to do that because, again, I'm getting up at like 530 tomorrow morning to catch this flight to California so that I can then fly an aircraft back to North Carolina the next day. Um, But that's that's the life that we live. I haven't flown like a month. I've been off for like a month. I got to like I got to like study on the ride out. I'll point my laptop at the poster for you. (laughs) <laughs> well it's all the flows man i just like i have to like stop and like okay this one starts it's like as long as i can remember where it starts i can do it but like yeah. if you just ask me like what's the third part of the, I, I don't know but it's like oh the one that starts with fuel oh, okay fuel pop up yeah but i'll have to run through that again anyway all right well we will shut it down there again thanks everybody for watching thanks phil thanks gordy and uh we'll definitely we're definitely gonna do this again i had a lot of fun awesome, awesome. thanks brian Good to see All you. right, see you. See you bud.